For me, it began in 1992 with an ending. I was five years old and happened upon a comic shop advertising the death of Superman in its window display. From that moment forward, the Man of Steel has been my favorite character. And now on this podcast, I'm exploring my fandom and examining the creative visions that have shaped the last son of Krypton across media for over 80 years. Welcome to Digging for Kryptonite, a Superman fan journey. I'm your host, Anthony Desiato. This episode, we are talking about the two versions of Superman 2, the 1980 theatrical cut filmed in part by Richard Donner and completed by Richard Lester, and the Donner cut itself released on DVD in 2006. And joining me is returning guest, comic book artist, V. Ken Marion. Hey, Anthony, how's it going? Thanks again for having me. You know, I, I'm excited for all of these. Ep- I feel like I say this at the start of every episode, but it's true. I am always excited uh, to do these with you and with the other guests. And what I'm especially excited about with this one is that you and I really have not compared notes. We exchanged. So you and I each separately rewatched both both cuts of Superman 2 uh, over the past couple of weeks. Uh, and we exchanged some messages, but it was mostly along the lines of like, oh, I got a lot of thoughts about this. But we didn't unpack it. And I'm glad because I think that'll give us a real fresh conversation for this episode. Oh, totally, totally. This movie, so it's so not what I remember at all. And um, it, it, okay, I, I don't know how to, how to say this, but uh, it, it's, it's different. Uh, let me preface it by saying that we talked about this already in our very first Digging for Kryptonite episode was Christopher Reeve is my, like in the suit, he is my favorite Superman. So I just want the listeners to know that I'm not trying to just like bag on this movie because I think some of that will come out a little bit. And I still think that the first Christopher Reeve movie is my favorite superhero movie ever. Like that is still to me like holds up. It's so good. Love it. That being said, I think that's the only one of his movies that's actually good is the first one. Yeah. Listen, I, you know, I, I appreciate that disclaimer and, and I'll issue a couple of my own here as well for, for our audience. So first of all, for anyone who's like, Hey, you guys haven't even done Superman the movie yet. What are you doing jumping to Superman 2? We'll we'll do Superman the movie. We'll we'll get to that. But, you know, like I said to you in that first episode, like when I was first mapping out this podcast, I made a very conscious choice that I wasn't going to necessarily follow a set order. I wasn't going to go chronologically. Like I wanted the freedom to kind of jump around a little bit. And, you know, Superman the movie has been well covered. Everyone knows that I felt we were safe jumping into Superman 2. Again, though, we will do a Superman the movie episode, and I would love to have you on for that if, if you would like. I'll invite you officially totally. now for that. Totally, totally. The other reason why I wanted to do, or the main reason I wanted to do Superman 2 now is that uh, this episode uh, about Superman 2, this will be out in early March. As of this recording, we don't yet have a release date for the Snyder Cut of Justice League, but we are anticipating it will come out in March, and assuming it does... Uh, the plan is for us to be back on this podcast at the end of March, breaking down the Snyder Cut. So in thinking about the Snyder Cut, it occurred to me, it's not the only Superman movie where a director was replaced and there are two versions of the movie. And so naturally I went to Superman 2 and I was like, well, I think it would be really interesting in the lead up to the Snyder Cut to take a look at this other example of a Superman movie that exists in two forms. Totally, totally. And I don't know if we want to get into, do, do we want to get in right, right in like which one we think is better or, or do we say that for the end? No, I think we should, I think we should say that, but oh, one more, let me, I'll issue one more disclaimer along the lines of, of what you said, because I have a feeling. So I, I think based on what you already said, I think you and I are very much aligned in terms of our take on Superman two. And 
you know, for anyone listening or watching who's like, what's with these guys? Like, they love the Snyder movies. They don't like the Donner movie. Again, I, I, let me say this. And when we do Superman the movie, I think I'll, a lot of this will come up again, but it's worth saying here. There is a tremendous amount that I respect about what uh, Richard Donner and Christopher Reeve brought to to both the first two movies, especially the first one, and to the character of Superman generally. I very much appreciate the reverence that Donner had for the material. You know, this wasn't a time where there were a ton of superhero adaptations. This could have gone in a lot of different directions, uh, but he treated oh, yeah, yeah. it. So he treated it with respect. He gave us a sweeping, epic, like mythic origin story. Uh, Christopher Reeve, again, in the suit. I'm with you on that. In the suit. Uh, <laughs> the best. In the suit, he's the best. Yeah, it's you know one one of the all time great performances in anything, but certainly in a superhero movie. So there's a lot about Donner and Reeve and the first two movies that I do love. But, mm-hmm. and and I think you know this is kind of an important thing, and I, I want to I don't know that I've really shared this much with you uh, off off mic, but after we put up our our Snyder episode right in defense of Zack Snyder's Superman, we talked about Man of Steel and BVS. I got to tell you, man, I got a lot of nice feedback and there were a lot of people who, uh, you know, wrote to me or commented on the episode and said that they were, they weren't like, oh, I love the movies now, but they, a number of people were like, you know, this kind of made me think about them in a little different way. And I'm actually kind of thinking about rewatching them now, which is awesome. awesome. Like that, that wasn't, and like, that wasn't our, you know, we didn't set out with that, you know, with that goal in mind necessarily, but like, it's a nice byproduct. But my point is, you know, I know for both of us, because we talked about it in the episode, like we, there was a lot more that I think we kind of took from those movies upon rewatching them. And that's my point. Like when you revisit this stuff with fresh eyes, you know, hopefully, you know, it either holds up, it matches or exceeds what you remember it to be. But then <laughs> there are instances like Superman too. And, you know, it's like, I definitely remembered it being better than, than I found it to be upon a rewatch. Well, let me ask you this. How many times have you actually seen Superman 2 prior to this? I mean, probably a handful. So like, you know, Superman 2, the theatrical cut. I mean, I've watched that. Again, I don't have a hard count, but maybe a handful of times over the course of my life. Not in a good few years, though. But I've seen it numerous times. The Donner cut, I only watched once when it first came out on DVD in 2006. Uh, And so this was the first time that I was watching the two of them back to back, which was fascinating. And Mm -hmm. only the second time I was watching the Donner cut and the first time in a good number of years that I was watching Superman too. So I think that all of that really kind of gave me an interesting uh, perspective. Okay. Yeah. Cause I watched, okay. So Superman one, I've watched, like we talked about previously, I've seen that gotta be over 30 times. Like I, like, I love that movie. It's great. I've watched it almost every year, at least once. Um, Superman two, I've, I saw like, cause I didn't, I had the Donner, the Superman one on VHS. My parents had it. So that's why I watched it all the time. That was the only one we had. So I saw Superman two, I think when I was in like seventh grade, maybe like, and, um, it was only the end of it. Like the fight scene with Zod and it was on cable TV, like late at night when I was like channel surfing and I caught like just that fight with Zod at the end. And that was it. That's all I saw for years. And then right before Superman returns came out, they put them out on, on DVD and I remember I, I heard that Superman Returns was going to be a sequel to Superman 2. So I got Superman 2 and then watched it then. So that was 2006, like right before yep. that came out, like 2006. Mm-hmm. So that that was the last time I saw Superman 2 was 2006. And my, my memory of it was almost non-existent. I think I might have fallen asleep through part of it when I watched it that first time. Then the Donner cut I saw in 2014, 
I had a, a shoulder surgery. I had a pretty serious sports injury on my shoulder. So I, I was in re- recuperating for that. And that's when I watched the Donner cut. Cause my dad had it on DVD. Cause I was at home and all I was doing was watching TV cause I couldn't move my arm. Um, and again, I was like, so hazy from that, that I don't, I didn't remember too much of it. I, I, I remember thinking like it was better than what I remember to Superman two, but that was pretty much my only recollection of it. So like this week when I watched the two of them, I was basically going in fresh. Like I, I like, I remember that he fought Zod and I remember what they look like. And I remember there was the, the Niagara Falls scene, like where like he catches a kid falling off the edge of Niagara Falls, but that was pretty much it. So I was going in almost as fresh as you could going into this, you know? So, and yeah, again, I, I know we have so, so no much nostalgia. So, so for me, so the point I was getting to is like, I, I have no nostalgia to this movie because like my, my whole connection to Christopher Reeve and Richard Donner is that first movie. So this was like total fresh thing going in, you know? Okay. Good, good to know for sure. Yeah. Uh, Cause I definitely had that nostalgia for super, like in my mind, I always kind of, kind of grouped one and two together and uh, I don't have the highest opinion of three and four. And I actually rewatched, oh, I actually rewatched four recently, like late one night and it was, we'll do, we'll get to that on the podcast. But uh, so I did have a little bit of that nostalgia, but it's interesting to hear your perspective. And so again, I know we have like so much to unpack, but would you, I know, cause again, I know you said you had a lot of thoughts. Do you want to share like, what's your big picture takeaway from your rewatch? Well, okay. <laughs> Obviously we won't know this at all because we, neither of us know Richard Donner personally, but even the Donner cut, I feel like is not a true representation of the movie he would have made. If I will say that, cause like it's stuff that's kind of stitched together and like, it's just the stuff they had filmed. Like I, I, I can't believe the first movie that was so good and so emotional and so like rooted in like epicness would have ended with him just kind of like knocking Zod off a cliff. Like, like it's just, I, it's, it was, I mean, okay. My big, my big thing is that the Donner cuts way better, way better, like exponentially better. And the, and the theatrical cut, I honestly don't know how the franchise wasn't killed after that movie. Cause it's like almost unwatchable, like going back to like, I mean, I don't, I don't know how it was back then, but it's so corny compared to the first one. And it's just, there's so much like over the top campiness to it that it just, it kind of bummed me out. I really don't like their portrayal of Clark Kent, like he's so, he's so selfish and like, and mean spirited. And, and in, in both versions has a scene that I think is the most un Superman like scene of all time ever been put to, to screen of anything. We'll get to that later, but both versions have it. So I, I don't know what was going on there, but, um, but yeah, it, it's, it's, a uh, it's definitely one of those things that, and I also think that man of steel, the Zack Snyder movie is almost like a, it takes a lot from this movie. It's like, almost like I'm going to do my version of this, which kind of like, it, it, it didn't make me like the Zack Snyder version less, but it made me feel like, Oh, Zack wasn't doing a purely original thing. It was more like, cause there, there were even shots like when he face squares off against Zod where they square off in a construction site. And it's almost that same shot where they're like, like it's, it's like he, he cherry picked like images and like kind of did his, his version of it. Um, which is like throughout the whole movie, we can get into that too. But like that, I thought that was really interesting. Um, but yeah, I guess I, I don't even know what my main point was. That I was getting to, it was just, it was just like an explosion of, uh, of, of opinions coming out there. I'm sorry. <laughs> you have nothing to apologize for and I appreciate it. And I, I wanted to, po- I wanted to give you the floor for that because I, I know like for myself, like I, I did my rewatch right around new year's and we're recording this like late January. So I've, it's been a few weeks for me of like, oh, like I couldn't wait, <laughs> couldn't wait to record this. And 
it's like if you had said like oh i'm ready to record like when i first reached out to you if you were like i'll do it today like i would have done it like i was so i was so ready to go uh but i obviously i wanted to give you time to watch <laughs> but uh so i i appreciate all of that and yeah oh, i guess let me for anyone i know it's pretty i think relatively well known certainly among the superman fandom at this point but i'll just give a real quick uh recap in case anyone is unfamiliar with the the production history of this or what we're, what we're talking about so Richard Donner was originally filming, and I know you know this, but for our audience, uh, you know, Richard Donner was originally filming Superman 1 and 2, not back to back, but simultaneously. So like when they were at the Daily Planet set, like they were filming scenes for both movies, but they eventually fell behind. And in order to make the Superman the movie release date, the decision was made to focus on just finishing Superman the movie and hand in hand with that. And I'm not sure exactly who made this call, but the decision was made to take uh, what was going to be the ending for Superman 2, reversing time and make that the ending for the first movie. And that's how we got Superman the movie. Uh, Donner had had a lot of tension with the producers, the Salkins, and uh, despite him having already filmed a substantial portion of Superman 2, uh, they replaced him with Richard Lester, who completed the movie. And for years, there was, I think, among the fandom, like there was this interest in like what Donner's version would have been. And then uh, in the mid-2000s, around the time of Superman Returns, we finally got the Donner cut. And there's a great featurette uh, that I watched like years ago on the DVD. And I, I caught a little bit of it on, on YouTube recently uh, that showed a little bit of the behind the scenes of the, how they assembled all of this. And it was literally tons, like literally tons of footage of film. And they had a whole team of editors that went through and cataloged everything. Michael Thau was the editor who like really under the direction of Donner, but it, like that was the one like really, you know, doing the, the, the putting in the man hours on this. And so in 2006, they put out this Donner cut on, uh, on DVD. And, and as they say, like it, it represents the Donner's original version for Superman two, like as best they could put it together. So, uh, with the, with the Donner cut, you have a mixture of scenes that Donner filmed. You have scenes that Lester filmed and primarily the, um, the Kryptonian's path of destruction across Idaho and the battle in Metropolis that Donner had never been able to film. So he had to use what Lester used, what, what Lester filmed, but, and we'll get to this when we get to that portion of the movie, but he did, um, they did edit it. And so a lot of the more like slapsticky bits came out. So that end scene in the fortress of solitude, Donner didn't film any of that. He filmed. So all the stuff with, um, so like Lester added uh, a fight sequence to that showdown in the fortress. So like Superman ripping off the shield and like using it as like cellophane and the holograms and the laser beams, like all that stuff was Lester, but the rest of it was Donner. Like, like the conclusion of it. Yeah. The, the thing. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Gotcha. Okay. Um, and, and again, so, and the, so with the Donner cut, so it's a mixture of, of footage, uh, but we did get the reinsertion of scenes that Donner had originally filmed that then Lester refilmed. So we get a new opening, a new ending, uh, all of the depowering and repowering is is a uh, you know Donner footage and uh, Lois figuring out or the final uh, you know uncovering of the secret identity that was all uh, different. For Are you the, talking about when she shoots him? Yeah, I, I I heard I don't know if this is true, but I heard that was um, screen test. That was the screen test. Yeah, that, that they put in. Yeah, yeah, and you can tell. Yeah, because they look they look different. Like Christopher Reeve looks younger, and like she looks like not she doesn't have the same hairstyle or anything. Like it's it's very interesting to see that in there. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, that's like a snapshot of uh, you know like the major differences between the movie, and you know we'll unpack a lot of that. But for anyone who is just like I don't know what you're talking about, <laughs> you know that's a, a little bit of the background. The other the other thing, just by way of setup, that I think is interesting is 
you know, we haven't seen the Snyder Cut of Justice League, right? But from what we can tell, uh, it seems like it will be a very different movie than the theatrical cut in terms of runtime and, you know, characters who were cut out of the film, who are now back in. Superman will have the black costume. Like, it seems like it'll be different. These two versions, there are definitely differences, and I am with you. I do, with one exception, I do vastly prefer the Donner version, um, but they're not so different in the way that I think the Snyder Cut will be. They they still all hit the same beats. It's just that things are executed a little differently. That's true. This I feel like the difference in this is more tone. Like the tone of this is like, it's like the same story, but like the tone of it is like, like you said, more serious, less slapsticky, cleaner. And it's like a cleaner straight through story. Um, but you're right. Like the Snyder Justice League, I think is going to be like almost like a different story, like top to bottom. So it'll be interesting. Yeah, uh, for sure. So, um, and I would say, and you know, tell me if you agree. I think if we had to like really pinpoint one thing, I mean, I agree big picture with the tone, but I guess getting more specific, like one thing that like really sets the movies apart and gives the Donner cut the edge. Do we agree? It's, it's Jor-El. Yes. It's, it's the whole, the whole sequence of why he loses his power, you know, like that, that whole thing. Like, cause like, I think, they're blurring together at this point for me, but yeah, Jor Jorel has a much bigger scene in like it's more grounded and more rooted in the the Donner cut, and then like he also interacts with Lois too. Like <laughs> Lois has the the Superman shirt on, which I thought that was kind of funny. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah, so like that's the thing. I mean, uh, you know, Marlon Brando had a dispute with the producers, and so you know the footage that he had shot for Superman two was was cut. And Lester reshot the depowering, you know, that whole sequence uh, with Lara instead. And it was, I guess we really do have to credit Superman Returns with this because it was at that time that Warner Brothers worked things out with Brando's estate to use his likeness in Superman Returns. And they were also able to work things out for the Donner cut of Superman 2. Uh, so, we, so we got that back in. On Jor-El, they use this line in Superman Returns as well in the trailer where he's like, the, the son becomes the father and the father becomes the son. What does that mean? Like, like, because I, I, when, when I was watching it, I was like, this is supposed to have some profound impact, but like, this is like nonsensical. This line makes no sense with what's going on on the screen. It's, I think it's when he's like getting repowered up and I'm like, wait, what? Like, I, I don't know. It's kind of like the Dark Knight thing about the hero we need. <laughs> like, it's like one of these lines, it's like, what? Like, what does that even mean? Like, yeah. It's funny because when when uh, my son was born, I, I wrote this epic uh, Facebook post, and I started it with that quote: uh, the, "You know, the, the son becomes the father, and the father the son." And I think you can probably interpret it a number of ways. Like, just as an example, on I know you don't follow the Supergirl TV show regularly, right? Um, but this is not a major spoiler. But uh, Martian Manhunter's father. Uh, is introduced in the show at a certain point and, and he, his mind is starting to go and uh, Jean has to care for him in the way that, you know, a parent would normally care for a child. And Kara uh, offers that exact line of the son becoming the father and the father, the son. So in, in kind of caring for each other and sort of flipping roles, I think that's one possible interpretation. I mean, I think, what, what, what does that have to do with Superman getting his powers back? Well, so, <laughs> like, like Jor-El's not like, like, like decrepit and like in a nursing home, and Superman has to take care of him. It's it's he's still helping Clark. Like like I, I don't understand the the correlation, Lena. You know. So I think in the case of uh, of Superman, it just sounds good, Ken. What do you want me to say? No, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. no. I think in I'm the sorry, context. I'm sorry. 
I think Chris the, Reeve is the best. I'm sorry. No, <laughs> no. And again, like I'm not saying that the Supergirl thing applies here. I'm just saying like I think there are different ways that you you can kind of interpret it. I think in the case of of Superman two, the Donner cut, uh, you know, when when Superman gives up his powers, you know, Jor El says this is permanent. There's no going back. And then of course he goes back like two scenes later, and yeah. and yeah, Jor is- and Jor El has to basically expend like all of his remaining like essence and the energy of the fortress in order to restore Superman's powers. And so I think it's like what was left of Jor-El kind of, you know, becoming part of Clark in order to restore the powers. That was how I, my interpretation of it. Okay. Okay. Good. Good. I'll, I'll, I'll take it. I'll take it. (laughs) But kind of on that note, like of Jor-El, I really think that that's what, um, I, it really makes the Donner cut worth watching. And I think, you know, going back to Superman, the movie, they, they do tie together, I think a lot more, you know, thematically, uh, with, with Jor-El in there. So, um, you know, it's for anyone who hasn't seen the Donner cut, like it's worth watching at, at least for that, I think. Oh, totally. Yeah. Yeah. And, and like I said, I think it's a better, like just experience in general. Like, even though there's the test footage in there, like it, I think it's a cleaner story. Like the, uh, the whole Eiffel Tower thing at the beginning of the first movie. Who, but are you a Harry Potter fan? Do you watch the Harry Potter movies? No, uh, I never got into well, them. Any Anyone who watches Harry Potter, one of the terrorists, the Eiffel Tower, is uh, Harry Potter's uncle, the one that puts him in the cupboard. Like, oh. And then I noticed, I was like, oh my God, like it's like it's the, the crazy uncle from Harry Potter. Yeah, and he's way younger. Um, but yeah, dude, that... Oh, and how the theatrical cut opens with basically like <laughs> a redo of the first movie, like... Just going through scene by scene, it's like, oof. I mean, yeah. the Donner cut too, though, right? Like, has a pretty lengthy recap during the credits. It's, it's not. It's not as. Uh, it's not as egregious. The Donner cut is something more like, kind of like along the lines of what they did in Spider Man Two, where they kind of okay, brief kind of. But the but the theatrical cut is like you're watching the movie. Yeah. Like it's like a truncated version of it, but it's like whole scenes like stitched together. It's very strange. Yeah. Yeah, and you know, it's like right off the bat in the theatrical cut, like you know, we revisit. Uh, the imprisonment and banishment of Zod and Ursa and Nan, and you know they cut around Jor-El, and it's like you know we've seen this footage already in the first movie, and like now we're seeing it again, but like there's no Jor-El, and then even during that recap, like you see the hand of Jor-El like putting the crystal in, but it's like they couldn't actually show him. They show Lara, you know, carrying uh, Kal-el, uh, you know, uh, through through their home to the rocket. So, and again, like as a kid watching that, it wasn't something that I really noticed, but. Um, you know, watching it now, it's like, oh, well, clearly this was, you know, where, where Jor-El would be. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, very yeah, I, lengthy recap. I mean, I like how in the Donner cut, how the Kryptonians are freed is the tie into the two rockets from that, that Lex shot off. Yeah. Remember? And then in the theatrical cut, it's the terrorist attacking the, the, the Eiffel, the, the French terrorists that are attacking the Eiffel Tower. And he saves that bomb and throws down his face. And with some of the worst CGI I've ever seen, like it explodes and, and like everything about the Donner cut felt more like it was, it didn't feel as rushed. Let me put it that way. Like a lot of the special effects in the theatrical cut felt very rushed and not like they like took their time with it and like didn't try to make it look as awesome as possible. Like even some of the flying scenes, like there's, I think when, you know, when the Kryptonians land on the moon and they like wreck the guys on the moon, the, the, the like, the Kryptonians, after they're free from their prison, they they fly to the moon, and there's people from Earth that are like astronauts, like doing something, like harvesting like space rocks or something, and they basically just tear them apart. And then they 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 take off toward Earth, and in the Donner cut, 
they do this cool like camera turn where like when they fly, everything kind of spins around and like whole perspective shifts. And like, it's got like a very star Wars kind of like motion thing to it. And then in the, the theatrical cut, they look like they're on strings being pulled off into the sky. And I'm just like, Whoa, like I, yeah, it's, it's nuts. It's nuts. Yeah. I mean, that's a good point. And I, I got to tell you though, it drove me nuts. And I know this is, you know, a, a nitpicky, I guess, but it drove me nuts that they were able to speak and, and there was that there was sound uh, in, in space during that and, and gravity as well. Uh, when <laughs> like, they, like they pull the, the, you know, they uh, kill one of the astronauts and like he falls to the ground. And then I think another point, like they pull the flag out and they throw it and it falls. It's like, yeah. 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 Hmm. Well, also that the fact that Kryptonians are breathing in space, like what? Yeah. Like, cause, cause like in modern, even in the cartoon, like Superman can't like travel in space. Like, for long periods of time. Like he can't breathe in space in the comics, right? right. He can just kind of like short periods of time. He's able to. Yeah. 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 So, but you know, I don't think they were thinking that, that deeply about it, to be honest with you. No, I'm with you though. So like, yeah, I, I even as a kid though, with Superman too, I don't think I was ever really like a huge fan of that Eiffel tower opening from the theatrical cut. It's, it's honestly, it's rather tedious. It goes on like for quite some time way too long yeah. like it's really long and uh you know it's like again you know lois is there and you know superman saves or he foils the plot uh, again the bomb goes into space like you said and that's what frees them in the theatrical cut but it's like yeah it's a real tedious scene the donner cut opening uh is great i love that scene where lois you know finally starts to put together that clark and superman are one of the same yeah and she like jumps out the window and then clark like runs down and figures out a way to like stop her fall but like he like blows the air up and then she bounces off the roof and then like she falls in like a watermelon truck and then he runs back up and he's like lois what are you doing yeah it, it, that was like a a humorous fun scene but it wasn't slapstick you know it was it was that good tone you know yeah and you know just as an like two immediate examples that come to mind just so people know like what i'm talking about when i say that uh the donner cut removed a lot of that that slapstick st style of humor so like in that big battle in Metropolis, at a certain point, the Kryptonians start using their super breath against the crowd. And in the Donner, in the in the Lester cut, there's a lot more slapstick there. And in particular, like there's this one bit with the guy on the payphone, right? Like who's getting blown away, but like he's still trying to have his phone call, and it's like so so goofy. And there's like a guy with like an umbrella too, right? Like getting blown away with the umbrella. Yeah, yeah. And they add that that. In the Donner cut, it's Lois and Perry looking out the window, watching the destruction. And it's like, like, oh no, what's going, like, this is bad. Superman's in trouble. But in the, the Lester cut, it's like Lois and a woman who works the Daily Planet. And she's saying stupid stuff like, oh, that Kryptonian's like cuter than Superman or something. Like something stupid. Stuff. And she, and then Lois like elbows her and like, you know, like, like face palms her and stuff. Just like really like slapsticky, like over the top. Like, yeah. Yeah, for sure. And then, you know, uh, the Kryptonians, as they make their way across America, there's stuff that uh, Donner took out for his cut. So, I mean, the immediate thing that comes to mind is in the Lester cut, they fly past Mount Rushmore and they use their heat vision to reshape the faces on Mount Rushmore. Yeah. So, yeah. like, that's that's gone. So, you know, those are examples of stuff that, like, you know, from sequences that, that Donner couldn't film, but he was able it, to remove that when they attacked the white house was the donner cut more long was it like more expanded out and more like visceral and violent because it, it felt longer but maybe i just zoned out in the theatrical cut i didn't i didn't know i don't know for sure it, i don't think so but i mean it's possible it's okay. possible but not not that i that immediately comes to mind it, it felt like it but again maybe i i, 
I probably zoned out at one point. There was definitely a part in the middle that in the theatrical cut that I totally zoned out with. Like I was like doing laundry at the same time. And like, I just, that whole part where they're going across the country, the Kryptonians and cause it's like kind of goofy in the, in the, uh, the theatrical cut, but, the, but in the Donner cut, they come off as scary. That's, that's why I was wondering what the difference was. Cause they, they, they do come off as like scarier and more visceral and intimidating. Like I think Zod is really good in this. Like mm-hmm. that actor who plays Terrence Stamp and the other two too. Um, I don't, I can't remember their names. The, the Ursa non, mm-hmm. right. It's, but like the actors, like I can't remember their names, but they, they all did a really good job. Yeah. And I agree. Like, I think they are more menacing uh, in the Donner cut. Um, but as far as like, you know, you kind of zoning out for a little bit on that note, <laughs> how, what did you think about the overall pacing of, of, and I think this kind of applies to, to either cut, to be honest. To both. Yeah. Yeah. It's way too long. Like it, not too long, but like things don't happen. Like, and it's very like dragged out. Um, the whole plot of him, can, can we talk about one of the things that I think is egregious, like so egregious to Superman is him losing his powers. Okay? okay, on that note, let's take a 30 second commercial break. And then I think this is probably where we're going to spend the most of our time because this was hands down the biggest problem. Either cut is the biggest problem I had. So let's just take 30 seconds and then we'll <laughs> get into this. <laughs> The Hive Comics and Games is an oasis of nerd fun and events in the heart of Odessa, Texas. Whether it's comic book superhero stories or role-playing in a dungeon, The Hive is where to be. Come tap your mana and face off against the top Magic the Gathering players in West Texas. Hive carries a majority of new comic titles each Wednesday and has all of your favorite titles in their back issue section. Follow them on Facebook at The Hive Comics and on Instagram at The Hive Comic Shop. Okay. So again, I assume people have seen Superman 2. If you haven't, the basic premise is that uh, Superman gives up his powers to embark on a romantic relationship with Lois Lane while three Kryptonian criminals from the Phantom Zone wreak havoc across America. Superman losing his powers, go. (laughs) Okay, first off, why does he need to give up his powers to be in a relationship with Lois? That, that that's my first question right off the bat is like, I, I don't get that because like, I mean, I guess this was a long time ago, but like in the comics, he still has his powers. He's married to Lois. Like, I, I know this was filmed before all that happened, but like, it just like logically in my head just doesn't make sense why you jump to that conclusion. But I, I don't like it because it comes, it's a selfish thing that Superman does. He comes off as very selfish and then once he loses his powers, like, so, so what, the thing to me about Superman is that the powers don't make him Superman. What makes him Superman is his, like his heart, his spirit and the values that his parents instilled in him. Right. So like in theory, in my head, in my Superman, if he didn't have powers, he would still be quote unquote Superman. Like if he lost his powers, he would still do everything he could to like help people and save people. Right. When he loses his powers in this movie, and this is the, worst Superman thing I've seen across any media. Okay. Like worse than anything. Like if you, if you think him snapping Zod's neck in, in man of steel is bad, this is so much worse because that was done to protect people and to save a planet. And even though like he killed Zod, he, he saved planet earth by doing it. And he saved, he immediately saved an immediate family when he loses his powers. Okay. Him and Lois, are, are, I can't even get through this out loud. Him and Lois are driving back from the Fortress of Solitude in a car that they just miraculously get out of nowhere. They're on this desolate road in Canada, I think. I don't know, but they, they go to a truck stop and there's like a diner at a truck stop. They go in the diner. 
And Lois is ordering a bunch of food and Clark is like, oh, I'll be right back. Lois, I'm going to go use the restroom, right? This old man truck driver comes in to the bar and everyone's like, oh, uh, oh, tough guys here. Rocky, Rocky, man, his name is. Rock, this old ass man sits down next to Lois and starts hitting on her, right? And Lois just kind of like, ugh, kind of like you're gross. Like, don't talk to me. Clark comes out of the bathroom and then proceeds to do the most un-Superman-like thing ever is he starts, like, peacocking with the guy. <laughs> He's like, someone, hey, this is my seat, man. Uh, someone needs to teach you manners, sir. And it starts, like, acting as, like, like, like he's, he's like in fifth grade in like a playground, like, I, like Superman would be like, uh, okay, Lois, let's like, like if the, the guy, like he comes out of the bathroom and this old man truck driver is like, Hey, four eyes. Like he starts like making fun of Clark, right. For some reason. And Superman, real Superman that, you know, the one that we know, it, he would have been like, Oh, right on. Okay, dude, Lois, let's go sit over here. End of story. Like would never pr- Clark like instigates a fight with this guy. This, this old man, he instigates a fight with this old man, tells him to come outside. He's like, hey, don't, don't, don't make fun of me in front of, in front of Lois. I'm going to teach you some manners. And like literally picks the guy up. The guy then punches him in the face. And then all of a sudden, it's like he's like in a wrestling match from WWE with blood pouring down his face after like one punch and elbow to the stomach. He's got like blood just like gushing out of his face. And it's dude, it's horrible. And then they see that, like, oh, and then and then she's and then Lois is like he's like on the ground bleeding, and the old man truck driver goes back to eating his like steak and eggs or whatever the hell. And Lois is like Clark. Clark, are you okay? And he's like, oh, he's like coughing up blood for some reason. And he's like, oh, oh no, oh no, Lois. And she's like, and she says something to the effect of, I, I want the man I fell in love with. And he's like, oh, I wish he was here, Lois. I wish he was here. I'm like, what? Like, this is so like not Superman. Like I, and the, the ch- I want to hear your opinions on this, but the cherry to top it all off is the coda at the end of the movie, which Oh my god! Okay, just, just. <laughs> which in the Donner cut makes no sense it's at still all. There, which I oh my god, this whole scene doesn't make sense. But what what are your opinions on this? Okay, like, and I, again, I think to me like this is like uh, I have so many thoughts on the whole uh, uh, giving up of the powers and the aftermath and the way it's depicted in both cuts. And I your reenactment was amazing and hilarious and a hundred percent like all the stuff that I was thinking as I was watching it. But let me say this. My whole problem with Superman two, with especially with respect to him giving up his powers, this goes back to the larger problem that I have with the Christopher Reeve movies across the board. As much as I love him as Superman, and you know, I resp- I you know, he's a, a magnificent actor. Um but I don't subscribe to this notion of the character where Superman is who he is and Clark is just this disguise. And agreed, you know, and even there's, you know, once Lois, uh, you know, he, you know, reveals himself to Lois and they're in the fortress and they're having dinner. Like, you know, she asks him about the dual identity and he's like, you know, I really like being Clark, you know, even though I do make a fool of myself sometimes. And it's like, it is an act for like, he's put, did you watch Kill Bill? I've never seen it, but I know the I know the 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 phrase you're referring to. The speech, right? In Kill Bill volume in volume two, uh, Bill goes on this whole rant about Superman and how Clark is meek and bumbling and ineffectual because that's how Superman views humanity. 
and he compares Superman to Spider-Man, for example, where, you know, Peter Parker wakes up, or Spider-Man wakes up, he's Peter Parker. He has to put on a mask and he becomes Spider-Man. Whereas Superman is Superman. He was born Superman and he puts on the glasses and he becomes Clark and he adopts this whole persona because that's how he views humans. I mean, it's a very dark, cynical way of looking at it and I've never really subscribed to that. That notion is ridiculous because that's not, Superman's not a dark character. Superman's not like a, a, like a, he's not a godlike figure that, watches over humanity like that like i agree with you i don't subscribe to that either and i think it's probably comes of smallville like i've said christopher Reeve is my favorite in the suit but my favorite depiction of the character overall is definitely tom welling from smallville because like that is the the core to me of who he is is that he is clark kent and when he becomes superman it's like when like a doctor puts on their scrubs kind of thing right like he like it's like his work clothes or like a construction worker puts on their hard hat. Like it's like when he goes to work, this is what he wears to work or like a soldier putting on their uniform going into battle. Like that's to me what the Superman identity represents to him. It's like, it's like a public face to protect who he really is, which is Clark Kent. Um, And you're right. Like, I don't, I don't like the notion of like the Christopher Reeve Donner interpretation of he, he has Superman and Clark is a persona. Now, in my head, the Clark and the Daily Planet is a little bit of a disguise going on there. Like, but I feel like it's more of him than still what Superman is, if that makes sense. Right. No, you know? I mean, I agree with everything. And again, going back to the Kill Bill thing, it's like there's really no version of the character that we've seen that I think supports, you know, Quentin Tarantino's version. But this whole like, but I, I it does resonate a little bit with me. Uh, again, I don't think you know, Superman's intention is to be mocking humanity. I, I, you know, but, uh, but that is the biggest problem that I have with the, with the Donner movies. And I know, you know, again, like we grew up reading comics in the Byrne era, right? Like the version of the character that Byrne established where Clark is who he is and Superman is what he can do. And that's what we saw in Lois and Clark. And that's what Smallville was all about. And, you know, to your point, like I was thinking about this as I was reflecting on how much it bothers me, the way Clark is depicted in the movies. And it's like, why does it bother me so much? Like, <laughs> and I think it really like in large part is Smallville. Cause it's like, we spent 10 years with Clark Kent and the idea that like, that's how Clark would be. Like, it just doesn't, you know, ring true for me. And I, I know it's a different take. It's a different interpretation, but I've never liked yeah. it. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you. It's not something I like, I hate, but I, but I like the, it, it, like you said, it's a different interpretation, but I do think it is one of the reasons why I do like, why I connect with the Snyder version so much is because I know those movies are dark and like, like um, can be oppressive at times, like in terms of like the tone they give, but like his, his view of Superman as being like just a dude who like just happens to be able to do great things. Like when he's Superman in those movies, he does act more like shielded and more like reserved as if like this, he's not relaxed, but when he is Clark, especially a man of steel, he is more like, you know, who he, who, who he is at, at rest is who he normally is. So I, that is one of the things that I do like better why I think I connect with those movies. But, um, but yeah, dude, this, this whole like depowering it, it, the whole thing top to bottom just doesn't ring true to Superman because it's, uh, it's operating from a very selfish place, right? Like Superman's all about the, the selflessness. Like he's all about doing for others more than doing for himself. And like, I feel like it's so intrinsic to who he is and what he wants that he would never want to make like 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 i don't think there should be this i know there's been i know people have talked in the past on podcasts and stuff like kevin smith and stuff about there was a script for a superman movie in the early 2000s going around 
where like he's in like a, a psychiatrist's office talking about how he wants to like do more things for himself and stuff. And to me, like Superman would never even need that. Like he wouldn't have this like this inherent need to be like, I just want to do things for myself and I'm sick of doing things for other people. Like it's just, it's so like baked into his DNA that to be like a selfless person that like the whole thing just doesn't ring true to me. And like, I don't understand why he can't be in a relationship with Lois if he has his powers. That doesn't make any sense. Like, I don't know. No, I'm with you. It's, uh, you know, and so it plays out, but anyway, I just want to just to kind of button up the last thing. And so I think, you know, the way that Clark is treated in these movies, like really as really just as a disguise, I think that's why like we have that scene in the diner. Cause it's like, he doesn't know how to be like Clark is nothing. You know what I mean? Like yeah, once the powers yeah. are gone, like, and, and, uh, you know, again, this, I know I've said this to you and I've said this in other podcasts, but like my least favorite aspect of Superman, the movie is this idea that like he goes to the fortress for like 15 years and then he comes out and he's Superman. And it's like, uh, you know, I much prefer the version like we've gotten in the comics and in Birthright, right? Like he's traveling the world. He's actually living in the world. He's having experiences as opposed to like just being taught slash programmed by Jor-El. And, and I feel like that kind of leads, like it's almost a natural consequence of like once he doesn't have those powers and costume and he's not Superman, he's like, it all just falls apart. But anyway, uh, I, I think it's worth noting, um, oh, there's so many aspects to this, but one one that applies to either cut right? He does not, Clark, Superman does not discuss this with Lois. He just, he just makes the, he makes, whether he's talking to Lara in the theatrical cut or Jor-El in the Donner cut, like he takes it upon himself that it's like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to divest myself of these powers. I'm going to be human after one date. Yeah. Yeah. Very strange. And, and the other thing about like the concept of him losing the, the powers, like while I don't love it, like in general with superhero stories, when they do those episodes or issues or whatever, when they lose the powers and they have to fit, like, I usually I'm like, I'm not interested. Like, like I I'm here to watch a superhero story. Like I don't care about them, like struggling without the powers, but, but in general, like that story in a Superman movie, it could have been like, it could have done, like I get the, the, the need, not the need, the, the desire by the filmmakers to want to do it because it contrasting him losing his powers with the Kryptonians coming in and him having to like find a way to get the powers back. That is in, in many ways could be a very interesting story. How it's done though, is like he loses his powers. He gets his ass kicked by this old truck driver, man, and then goes right back and gets the powers. It's, it, it's not like this narrative thread through the movie. So it just, it doesn't make any sense why it's there. Like he could have easily just been like having a date with Lois in like, like the middle of like, I don't know, like, the Sahara or something, taking her to like all these exotic places. And like, he just wasn't watching the news and that could have been why he wasn't around. You know what I mean? Like it was, it, it was so short and like such a non sequitur and they end it with this awful coda at the end of the movie, which is the most unsuperman like thing ever. And sorry, this makes me so mad. Like at, after he defeats the Kryptonians, after all the shit goes down, after he like saves the day, he comes back to this diner and like messes with this old man again. And like, and he beats the shit out of this old man and throws him down the, the, the table and wrecks the whole diner. I'm like, dude, you're Superman. Like, why do you care about this hillbilly old man truck driver? Like you're Superman. Like this makes no sense. It's such a, like, like a bully and like mean spirited, like way to end. It's like the end of the movie. Like I, I, I just, I don't get it. Like it's one of those things where I'm just scratching my head that I don't understand. Yeah. And I mean, you know, 
to jump to the end, I mean, in the Donner cut, Superman reverses time, which is my other massive, massive problem with, with the Donner cut in particular. And we, we can get to that. But uh, so he reverses time. So like Clark getting beat up never happened yet. He still goes back to the diner and teaches that guy a lesson. Yeah. For something yeah. that never happened. Uh, yeah. It's that's real problematic, but no, but, but even in the theatrical but, cut, yeah. it, it makes no sense. Cause it's like, like, again, going back to the Zod in Man of Steel, him killing Zod, like that is a, it's something he truly does not want to do. He's racked with guilt over it, but he, he has to do it to save the planet and save, and it, not even the planet, just like a family, an innocent family right in front of him. He needs to do this to like save these people, right? This is like, like, even if we go with the fact that he doesn't erase time and he did beat, beat up Clark Kent, he's going back and, and starting a fight like, it's like Superman shouldn't start fights. Like that's something that like, is just so not like superheroes in general should never like instigate fights. Right. But like Superman, like he just, he beats, this is like this old guy probably had a heart attack and died. Like it's like, he was an old man. Like I just, it, oh dude, it's, it's so infuriating. Like, And you know, people hold up the Donner movies as these beacons of hope. You know, I, I, you know, we've mentioned the Snyder movies a few times and I feel like it's especially worth mentioning here because uh, this does this does kind of grinds my gears a little bit. As we discussed when we talked about Snyder, right, like one of the criticisms is that, you know, they're darker and like Superman uh, doesn't display the the hope and optimism and heroism that you would normally expect from him. Right. And I think oftentimes the comparison is made to the Donner movies. And it's like, as we discussed at length, right. Clark's main conflict in the Snyder movies is that he just wants to do the right thing. He wants to help people, but he has everyone in the world around him, like doubting him, questioning him, projecting their hopes, their fears, like all this stuff, calling him into Congress to testify. Like all he wants to do is help people. That's his conflict, right? In this movie, his conflict is like he just wants to get laid and he doesn't want to be Superman anymore. Like, (laughs) so like, I don't know. To me, it's just like, I don't, I just, I don't get it. It's like, yeah. The, the Donner Superman smiles more and the costume's brighter and, you know, maybe the music kind of pumps you up a little more, although we love the Hans Zimmer music in the Snyder movies. But it's like, I, I, I don't know. I mean, the presentation is different. And it's like, but aesthetically one is lighter. But I really feel like when you're talking about capturing the heroism of the character. Oh, it's not, not night and day, man. Like that, that scene in Man of Steel when he's like under the... The, the, the gravity terraformer thing and he's like being crushed by the weight of it and he's like like just kind of like pushing himself up and he like you can like you can feel like he's like digging down deep and he's like giving everything he has to like to stop this and in this like he like plays mind games with zod like 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 oh i'm gonna step in this chamber and like it, it's it's so it's such an anticlimactic and then zod is powerless like Superman doesn't need to kill him at that point. He's powerless. Like he is straight up powerless by the, the, like all the Kryptonians in this, by this rationale, they're straight up powerless. Like they're normal people. Superman could in theory, lock them up, bring them to a prison, throw them in prison. They're never getting out. They wouldn't even know what's going on. They wouldn't, they'd have no concept of what happened. Right. But no, he like, he crushes his hand, knocks him into like the vat of whatever, like, it's so nebulous what happens, but he, he dies. He, he kicks him down into like this endless pit in the fortress of solitude. Non jumps to his death because for reasons, I don't know why he tries to fly. Like, he tries to fly and he just, Oh, yeah. that's what he was doing. Yeah. Oh, I think he's just like, oh. <laughs> no, no, he tries and, he, and he, yeah. <laughs> Oh, okay. 
And then Ursa, uh, Ursa, right? Yeah. Ursa, yeah. Lois like is like, you're a bitch and like slaps her and pushes her off the side. She dies. And then Superman's like, <laughs> all right, Lois. And like, like high fives or something like that. And it's just like, this is so like weird. Like it's, it, it felt like the first movie, the first Christopher Reeve movie to me feels like a masterpiece. Like it is like, while the special effects may not hold up super well. And like you said, like the, your interpretation of the character may vary it's still done with like the utmost of like truth and like, like veritas to the movie. Right. Like it's like, wh- like it, it just feels like Donner and the writers like really broke down, like for this moment in time, what would be the realest, most optimistic, truest version of what this character would be. And this one just feels so like half thought out and like rushed and like, it, it, it counteracts itself. Like it's, it's not like I, I used to tell people that the first two are the only good Christopher Reeve movies, but really it's only the first one. Cause like the second one is not like, it just, it doesn't hold up. Like, I don't know. I, no, I mean, that's the thing. Like I, you know, whereas rewatching the Snyder movies, I was like, wow, I really appreciate them in, in a more meaningful way than I ever did before. Rewatching this one was a bit of a letdown. I'm not going to lie. And it was kind of like, I had this weird disconnect because it's like I never I never watch any movie wanting to dislike it, right? And so like, you know, I kind of went into this like, oh, this, like this will be fun to revisit and compare the two cuts and like watching both of them, I'm like, you know, things that we've talked about and things we'll get to that I think like really just didn't work and, and didn't resonate. And then again, going back to the pacing, like it's like not much happens for like, it's deep, deep into the movie before like, like, like it really gets going. Yeah, but even even the end fight is like a low speed chase where they're like throwing rocks at each other. Like it's it's not like an interesting. And again, a lot of that has to do with the time period. Like like I I get that. Like I don't I don't want people listening to this to be like, oh, it was made in the seventies. Like cut it some slack. It's like yeah, Star Wars was also made in the seventies. And like while you can see the seams of the special effects in Star Wars. It, it, it still holds up in the fact that it's still exciting and interesting. Like Empire Strikes, I think this came out around the same time as Empire Strikes Back. I think this this movie. Um, but it's like there's just like it just it just feels like half-assed. Like like that's the only way I can like think of it, you know. And the Donner cut, to be fair, like I said, had Donner directed that movie, it that's I don't think that even close would be what that movie would be because like like you said, they just like he didn't go back and reshoot anything. It was more like they just kind of found the footage and kind of chopped together what they had and kind of built it around what already existed. So it's not really even truly like what the Donner cut would be. Like, like I, I really don't think that that old man truck driver scene would be a Donner cut. I just, I just can't see that being. No, but those were Donner scenes. The, the one where he th- at the end of the movie where he yeah. throws him down. Man. Okay. Yeah. So that's know. the, th- so, but you know, I, like, I know it was, you know, there was a lot about like the reviewing that there, you know, the rewatch that was, you know, was, was disappointing. Cause again, like I had always held it up a little bit more in my head, but you know, let's jump back to the the depowering. Cause like to your point, like the sequence of events is honestly, it's like, it's comical where <laughs> whether it's Jorel or Lara in either version, it's like, once you do this, there's no going back. And he's like, I've made up my mind. This is my path now immediately the next scene he gets his ass kicked and he's like i regret this i regret this instantly <laughs> and then he goes back and does the thing that they told him was completely impossible and he gets his powers back it's like all right and to yeah, your, yeah. and like to your your point is 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 very uh is a really important one and i couldn't agree more like 
I think there's a way where this story could have been more interesting. I mean, maybe if early in the movie, like you see some instance where like he he laments not being able to have more of a normal life or he feels put upon in terms of all of the demands of saving people. Like something, like you said, that kind of like threads this this narrative through a bit more as opposed to like it really just kind of comes out of nowhere and is over real fast because it's like boom, boom, yeah. boom. Yeah. You know, and so and, and as far as like giving up the powers, I agree like that is real difficult to wrap my head around, especially since, you know, in the post-crisis era, and I guess maybe we can chalk this up to, it was a different era, right? And a different view of the character. But like, you know, we've seen now in the comics, Superman married with a kid. You know, we saw him in a relationship in Lois and Clark on Smallville, the new Superman and Lois TV show, like all these instances where, no, like he can be a hero and a journalist and a husband and a father. Like he, he, he's allowed to do those things. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And again, yeah, you're right. It is. This movie did come out, I believe pre-crisis. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. 1980. Yeah, yeah. So I, I guess there was that like the, the playbook that they were operating off was probably the 1950s Superman comics. If we're being honest, right? Like if, 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 cause I've heard Donner was a pretty big Superman fan. So I'm assuming the comics that he was trying to recreate were the ones from the forties and the fifties. Like I, I really doubt the guys making this movie were like reading the, the current issues in the seventies. You know what I mean? Like yeah. he was probably tying back to what they knew of the character from the forties and fifties, maybe early sixties. So like there is that to contend with, but at the same time, that first movie was so grounded in reality. Like that, that's why I don't understand this, this jump that they make that, well, he can't be in a relationship and be a superhero at the same time. When the first movie was all about like, like, dude, the first movie with his dad went, okay, this goes back to the old man truck driver once again when he doesn't have his powers. But that first movie, when he's getting picked on in high school by the football players, right? And he, and, and, they're like, oh, you still got to clean up all our pads that we knocked over. And, you know, you lame water boy, like, yeah, weakling, like is all this stuff they're implying, right? They drive off and he, we're assuming at super speed, cleans everything up. And then he starts running at super speed and races them home and beats them home. And then he's like, kind of like cockily sitting there in the car. And he's like, oh, I ran. Like, he's like kind of showing off, right? Like he's throwing his stuff. That's cool. That's like, like him, like flaunting without like, like abusing these it. people. Yeah. Yeah. yeah right. But even then his dad is like, cause he drives away and his dad gives him that great speech about like, you're here for a reason. Like, like just because you, you have the ability to do this doesn't mean you should like show off. Like, and, and that was so grounded. Like it, you understood exactly why someone as good as Superman would exist because like just from that one little scene, like, and that it just felt like all that was thrown out in this movie. And that's why I have such a problem with him, like giving up his powers. Cause it's like, that scene that you get from it is and the coda of it make that doesn't jive with that from the first movie, you know, like, I don't know. Yeah, no, uh, well said. I mean, it's uh, other than the reversing time in the Donner cut, like the whole depowering, like is by far my biggest issue with, with either version of Superman too. And, um, you know, again, I mentioned before, you know, not talking to, to Lois about it and, you know, it's, it's especially curious because like, in these movies, she's infatuated with Superman, does not think much of Clark. I mean, she, there are moments where she's, you know, she's not unkind to him, but, you know, it's almost more of like a, a pity. Like, she does offer some, you know, some concern for Clark, but it is like almost more in a pitying way. Like, she's infatuated with Superman. So it's kind of baffling to me that Superman would think, like, 
oh, well, if I give up my powers, like, this will be great. Like, you know, I don't know. I think that's a big leap. And going back to not talking to her about it, it's like you're engaged to to lovely Laura. And I look forward to a post-pandemic world where we can all do a double date again. But, and I would assume that like, on your first date or prior to your first date, it came up that you're, you're an artist, you're a comic book artist, right? Mm -hmm. It would be like if after your first date, you came home and like you broke all your pencils and you smashed your drawing table and you were like, guess what? Nothing, no other demands on my time. Like I'm not an artist anymore. (laughs) And it's like, I'm sure, you know, like I would have to imagine like one of the things that she's drawn to, no pun intended, drawn to you for is like, is your, your creativity, your passion for art, right? So it's like, that would be such a weird, <laughs> like such a weird choice to make, and I feel like that's what he does here. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it is. It is baffling. It's crazy. And dude, the, <laughs> just, <laughs> I feel like she'd be weirded out if that was the case, right? Like, it'd be like, what? Like, yeah. Um, <laughs> I mean, right. I, I, th- this is another thing that I kind of butt up against, but I think this again has to do more with the the time period that they were basing these comics this this movie off of was the stories from the 50s and 60s but i don't like lois that is fawning over superman and like is not interested in clark i actually really hate that because it makes laura uh, lois <laughs> makes, sorry oh my god <laughs> so well, we just, we just said her name and they're both yeah. l's i mean you know yeah yeah no but it makes lois look like shallow and vapid and stupid. Like, and it's one of these things that like, I, I, I respect the character so much more than that. And like, I think I personally think it's more interesting if Lois falls in love with Clark and not Superman. Right. Mm-hmm. Like, I think like that, that, and that's something that was done like way later in the comics, of course, but it's just one of those things looking back on these movies that is one of those things that to me quite doesn't hold up as well. Cause it's like, it just, it doesn't ring is true to the character from that I've read in more recent times, I guess, you know? And so I, we also have to talk about the uh, sequence of events because they're different in the Lester and Donner cuts. And I think that, you know, to your question about like, why does he have to give up his powers? I think this kind of plays out differently in the two different versions. So in the theatrical cut, he gives up his powers. And again, it's not Jor-El because we don't have Marlon Brando's footage here, but it's with with Laura, and it happens before they consummate their relationship. The implication being, and I think this is how most people have taken it, is that he, as an alien or as a, as a superpower being, couldn't have sex with her unless he gave up his powers and became human. And I mean, I don't know if that was the intention, but I feel like that's kind of the takeaway from that. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, I guess I didn't really think about that. I, I did notice that in the theatrical cut, there was this very like weird seventies, like silver bed that was just like hanging out in the fortress, which was bizarre. Right. Like I was like this, like, so, you know, Um, but so like that was kind of my, now that colors things a little bit differently. Like for argument's sake, let's say that was the intention. Right. And you know, my fellow Smallville fan here, remember they played with that idea on Smallville for a long time. Right. Remember like Clark and Lana had sex when he'd lost his powers in season five. And then when he got them back, a few episodes later, those activities ceased because, and he remember he confided in Chloe that he was like, he, he couldn't do that with his powers. Yeah. And it wasn't until way later, like with season nine, like when he was with Lois and uh, he was fine. Like when there was the episode, the silver Banshee episode where like uh, he and Lois and Oliver and Chloe like go to 
like a, a cabin, like a bed and breakfast sort of thing. Oh, I, I vaguely remember that. Yeah. And yeah. like he's talking with, and Chloe says something to the effect of like, oh, like I thought like you weren't able to do that with human women or something. And he was like, no, like I've been, you know, training with Jorel. Like I can control my powers now. <laughs> <laughs> but I feel like, I feel like that, I, that idea came from Superman too. That's always been my takeaway is that it happened in that order. Again, it's not explicitly said, like you can't have relationships, relations with a human woman. Um, but I kind of always took it that way. Now that colors things a little differently. It's almost more understandable. He's like, listen, you know, <laughs> I want to be yeah. able to do this. <laughs> yeah, 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 that does. But in the Donner cut, it's, it's the reverse. It's in the Donner cut, it's the reverse. And this, I think, answers, again, I don't, it's not an answer I subscribe to, but I think this does answer your question of like, well, why can't he have a relationship and be Superman? Like, Jorel goes on this whole thing about like yours is a higher calling. You can't serve humanity if your attentions are divided and you're in this relationship. Like that's the way it's presented. Now, again, like I, I you know, I strongly disagree with it, but like that's the that's the track that they chose for this. I mean, that okay, we're gonna go off a slight detour, but Superman returns. The, I haven't seen it in so long, but Superman Turns is like a quasi sequel to Superman Two, right? Yeah. And isn't it implied that that kid that Lois has is his kid from that night? Mm -hmm. They slept together. Yeah, that, that's what's implied. Okay, okay. Which, yeah. regardless of which cut you're talking about, is real problematic because so it is a detour, but I think it's a it's a valid one to go on given what we're talking about. So like, yeah, like uh, Brian Singer has said that. Um, he, he viewed Superman 2, right, as a quasi-sequel to the first two Superman movies. He was ignoring three and four, right? But it was sort of set within the same continuity of the first two movies. And, uh, yeah, Lois's kid uh, is, is Superman's, right? And presumably conceived during this period of time that we're, that we're talking about in Superman 2, unless we're supposed to believe that they had another encounter, you know, that we, that we never saw. But it's like either... Uh, if you're dealing with the Lester cut, right, where he erases her memory of his secret with the kiss, right, she'd really be scratching her head. Or if you're going with the Donner cut where he reverses time, it never happened. So it's like either way, it's like well, real screwy. I don't know how that really uh, lines up. Super, Super Mario Turns is like an abysmal movie. Like, <laughs> I, like I, don't even, I, I don't even want to get down the rabbit hole of that, but it was just like that. I was just trying to throw because, like, I was wondering because well, I remember when I saw Superman, Superman Returns, I didn't, I couldn't remember where that kid came from. I wasn't sure if that was something. So, but that that makes sense that it ties into it. Okay, gotcha, gotcha. Um, but anyway, so like in the Lester cut, he gives up his powers through this conversation with Lara before they consummate their relationship, presumably implying that he had to do that in order to be with her in that way. And then the Donner cut right flips it where he which. That makes it, that does make it more interesting and it makes it more like ideological, right? It's not that you literally can't be with her. It's like you could physically have a relationship with her, but it's this idea of like, well, again, like yours is a higher calling. You can't split your attention. Like you, it's all or nothing. I will say from an acting standpoint, I really did enjoy that scene between Christopher Reeve and the Marlon Brando head. Oh, totally. Yeah. 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 No, Christopher Reeve. I feel like I've been bagging on this so much that, but like, <laughs> I want this to be said that Christopher Reeve is like, money in every scene he's in even, even like in the things that like i disagree with like in terms of like the things that I, for me don't ring through the character it's still for what he's doing he's he's 
amazing in this movie. Like he sells everything and you know, like he's, he's great. There's like, there's a reason why I say he's my favorite Superman in the suit, you know? So, yeah, no, absolutely. And that scene with Jor-El, like it's a powerful scene and you really like the, the Christopher Reeve performance. I mean, like you really feel, you know, how he's torn and you feel the frustration and he's like, you know, haven't I, haven't I like done enough for them, you know, for the, for the people of earth. Although at the same time, it's like, buddy, we're only on Superman too. Uh, you know, it's yeah. like, come on. Yeah. Well, I mean, again, that's, that's one of those things that like, I, I, as a, as a fan, like I disagree, like Superman would never even like that, like that thought to me would never cross Superman's mind, but like for what is given, like Christopher Reeve's awesome, man. Like he sells that, like what's happening, you know? Yeah. So. And then, uh, so, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I think either way, like, it's real tough to to wrap your head around. And, and I do think had kind of the seeds for this been planted, you know, more so throughout the movie, I think this could have been like a more interesting arc. But it kind of, again, it all happens like when this, within a span of these few scenes. And, you know, I, I, I echo your frustrations with that first diner scene. The thing that made me laugh during it, though, is that, like, I know the guy pushes him through, like, the glass at one point. And I guess that would mess you up, but like he gets back up after that. And then the he's, guy like he's got like he's got like one cut after he gets pushed to the glass. Yeah. Yeah. And then the guy like punches him in the stomach and like pulls his hair back. And then like Clark looks like he's gonna die after yeah, that. No, he's it's like it's like literally like like 1989 WWF, like like blood like just pouring down his face. And it's like, what is going on here? Like <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. And so, did you ever watch Arrested Development? As a uh, completely separate note, but it long time ago, long time ago. Yeah. So there's this running bit where a number of the characters, but particularly Jason Bateman's character Michael, like at various points, they'll like they'll they'll make a choice that they instantly regret, and they're like, "I've made it. Like I've made a terrible decision." And it's like that's the same thing here. It's like instantly. It's like he's this guy is so gung ho about his new his new life, and then it's like instantly the next scene he's like i have to go back but okay but the other thing that, that like don't you think super like not not superman christopher reeve as clark kent don't you think he would have been able to take that guy like that, that, that's something like he, he like i don't get why this like like that's what was another thing that that made no sense it wasn't like this like badass like tough looking guy that came in it was like like an old man like with like 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 smoking a cigarette and like and like clark he's in the prime of his life like he should be able to like at least handle himself a little bit like i'm not saying he wins the fight or anything but like he like gets his he he, he takes a worse beating in that fight than he takes with zod later on in the movie like it's crazy like i mean like do we chalk it up to the fact that you know like later in this movie he will fight zod and, and ursa and non but like prior to this I don't think he's ever been in a fight. A fist, a fist fight. Yeah. I mean, that's I, true. You're right. You're right. You're right. That's something. Yeah. You're, yeah, you're right. You're but right it's like, that. you try a little bit. That was the other thing. It's like, he mostly just stood there. It's like, try, try something. I don't know. <laughs> you know, and then he goes, and then he goes to get his powers back. He walks back. <laughs> he walks this with his bell bottom swaying in the wind. <laughs> back with like, like, did you come here with a car? Like, where did that car go that you miraculously got? <laughs> Yeah, the car comes out of nowhere, and then, you know, presumably Lois takes it, but she couldn't drive him back? Oh, my goodness. Yeah. But so he goes back to the fortress, and then, you know, the Lester cut, like, they give you nothing. Like, he just sees the green crystal, right? And then it's implied that that's able to repower him, and that's it, but you don't you don't get anything else. Whereas the Donner cut gives us that whole sequence with Jor-El, which the Jor-El thing made me laugh, because in the first scene, when Superman wants to give up his powers, Jor-El is like, 
I anticipated this, my son. I knew this. I knew this might come. And if you do this, there's no going back. Then he goes back, and Jorel's like, "I anticipated this myself, <laughs> but there's only one way, <laughs> and that's when he has to like expend the rest of the energies of the fortress." And and he he, we see him emer- like Jorel emerges, right? Like it's not just the floating head. Like we actually see him walk toward Clark, and they kind of become one. And I thought that was that was cool, um, but again, just still kind of a little goofy. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like backseat driving. I'm just thinking in my head, like so many ways that could have that whole like sequence could have been more like impactful. You know, like if like he had to have given up his powers for some reason, like you know, like a selfless act or something. Like I, I don't know. Just that's a whole other rabbit hole we can go down. But uh, what, what did you just to, to, to switch topics here? What did you think about the portrayal of Zod and Ursa and Nan in this? Um. Because I actually think they were really good for the, for the time period and what they were doing. I actually think they they held up in both versions really well. Yeah, I mean, I would agree with that, and especially when we lost again, like some of the goofier aspects, you know, in with the Donner version. Uh, you know, that kind of did away with some of that. Yeah, I mean, uh, no, overall, and I mean, it's funny too. Like, uh, I you know, one of the reasons I was so happy, like watching Smallville with Annette O'Toole as Ma Kent, was like, wow, well, I saw her as Lana Lang in the Superman movies, and. Uh, you know, in, in this case, I think it sort of worked in the reverse where it's like, you know, now we spent all this time with Terrence Stamp as the voice of Jor-El. Like, it was so cool, like, you know, going back and, uh, you know, and seeing him in this. So, no, I thought they worked well. I thought they were effective um, as villains. Yeah, I thought Terrence Stamp was really good because he, like, you could tell he was taken super seriously. Like, unlike, um, like, like, I don't, again, like Gene Hackman, like, I don't know, like, per se like like his take on lex isn't like my favorite like it, it is kind of like over the top and like a little like arch i guess you know what i mean but i loved how terrence stamp was like just grounded and like 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 he was like re- he felt like regal almost but like he was taking it super seriously and like i thought he was very intimidating and very well done yeah yeah no for sure um so that was cool and uh, I'm just trying to think, oh, you know, we, we, I mean, we touched on this, but as far as, uh, the way in which Lois figures out that Clark is Superman, right? So that's those, that's a major difference between the two cuts. Uh, whereas in the Lester cut, they're in the, the hotel at Niagara Falls and Clark trips and his hand goes into the fire and he's unscathed and, uh, you know, she uh, figures it I, out. I, I want to ask you yeah. that, that, that hotel that they're in, in the, in the Lester cut, is that a place you would ever want to ever spend any time in your entire life? No. Because like, no, because I was looking at this, like this like freak show of a room that they're in and I was like, how could this be at all considered like luxury or like appealing to anyone? And I'm like, I'm chalking it up to the seventies, but like, I just like, this is like the, the weirdest looking hotel room I've ever seen in my life. Like, yeah, for sure. Um, but so so we have that in the Lester version. And then in the Donner cut, like you said, right, that was a scene that Donner never got to film. So they used the original screen test between Margot Kidder and Christopher Reeve, where uh, Lois, uh, you know, pretends to shoot Clark. And it turns out they're blanks. But, you know, Clark's reaction uh, reveals his, his his true identity. I mean, I think we, you know, kind of graded on a curve, right? The fact that, you know, they only had the screen test to work with. But which version did you like better? Oh, definitely the Donner version, for yeah. sure. Um, like even with it being a screen test, it still came off as really good. And, um, like, yeah, I thought, I thought it showed the the acting range of both of them really well. Like, so you could see, you could totally understand why they got the jobs, you know? Cause like they, that, like you saw both Clark Kent and Superman in that scene and, and Lois, like it, it was, it was really good. So that was, a, that was for sure much better. The, 
the Niagara Falls thing, man, is just the not the the, the hotel room with the fiery trips in the fire. It's like, yeah. <laughs> the one thing that I did like about that though was, you know, he he gets up right and he's like, I can't believe I did that. And Lois is like, Well, maybe you wanted to. And he's like, No, I don't think I did. And she's like, Well, maybe not with your mind, but with your heart. I like that little bit. But yeah, overall, I think the uh, the screen test uh, sequence, uh, you know, was a lot more fun. Yeah, had like a lot sure, more energy sure. to it. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, so you know, he gets his powers back, right? Uh, again, with the Donner cut, you actually see that play out. Whereas with the Lester cut, it's just you know he picks up the crystal, and then you know the re- the rest is up to your imagination. It did it did bum me out that uh, in the Donner cut they didn't use the uh, general. Would you care to step outside line? Because I did like that. Oh, yeah, you're right. You're right. You didn't know. I did like that. And then, although I don't know, did you like that? Cause that, that plays off of the, uh, the diner scene, you know, that whole, that whole thing. Cause I think oh, that's what, yeah, it does. Yeah. 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 You know, I, I never put that dot together. I mean, it's, that's like an iconic line. I think from Christopher Reeve when he says that, um, but, but see, it, it, it makes sense in that scenario though, because Superman's the one who's like outgunned and he's like, right. He's protecting people. Like he's not bullying someone, you know, like, um, can we, uh, no, go ahead. I was just gonna say, I, I, I do like that line. I do wish they kept that for the, the Donner one, but that was one of the only instances where I was like, oh man, like, you know, you should have kept that. So I, you know, I want to hear your thoughts on the battle. I'll say this, that, uh, again, I like the Donner version that excised the sillier bits. I thought that for, you know, the standards of, you know, 1970s filmmaking, I thought that for the most part, like it was a solid enough fight sequence. It, it, it was slow paced. That was my problem with it. It was very slow paced. Like, and, and that's not a, a time. That's not like a seventies thing. Like, I feel like it's just like they, they let the camera linger too much on like slow moving things. Yeah. No, I don't disagree. The thing that <laughs> really made me laugh is, uh, the, the bit with the bus, right? So there's that point. I think it's Ursa and Nan who pick up the bus full of people and, <laughs> First of all, again, we love Christopher Reeve. I don't, you know, I, I don't mean to knock any performance, but his, his when he's like, he's like, don't do it, the people. Like he's, it, the delivery just made me laugh there. And the idea that they would even care. Um, but, you know, I appreciated his passion there, right? Superman's pleading with them. But they throw the bus towards Superman and it it collides with him. And, and like, he's out of commission for like a really long time. I mean, it's like maybe a full minute, which in screen time is like a long time. Everyone thinks he's like the, the people on the street are like, Oh no, Superman's dead. And he's like out for that bus. Like really gave him a hard time. Yeah. I mean, that, that was another <laughs> shout out in, in man of steel, I think. Cause that same thing happens in man of steel. And he just kind of hops over it. Do you remember that scene? Where like Zod throws like a like a tanker at him, and it, oh, it felt yeah, yeah, very yeah. much like a like a shot for shot, except he just kind of like hops over it effortlessly and like, explodes in the background, and like makes that huge like diehard kind of looking scene with this fire behind him. But um, but you're right, the the bus. Well, I can't. I think this is the Donner cut. I can't remember if this was in the Lester cut or not. But when he goes underground. And they fight underground. Do you yeah. remember this? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, th- and like, I think that's in both. I think it's in okay, both. Okay, because that to me is where like your imagination runs like they're having this bombastic epic fight because like the ground shaking and you just, you're hearing this like like just vicious like pow and attacks and like, you know, all this. And they pop back up and they're like back to like throwing like slow motion like rocks at each other. Like it's just, it's, it's funny. That's a, but again, that ha- I guess that has to do with the, 
the time period, you know? I know. But like, but then I go back to Empire Strikes Back and Luke and, and Vader fighting. Like, that doesn't feel slow or, 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 or boring. Like, I don't know. I think that, that they didn't put enough thought into the fight scene. And that's, you know, an instance where, like, I'd be real curious to see, you know, what Donner would have filmed, you know, what, what, if anything, would have been different, um, you know, yeah. and, and, you know, I don't, it's like, it's the sort of thing where, well, because I was going to say, like, you know, it would have been cool, like, if they had more of a budget for this and they could have done an animated version, for example, like, for, you know, so, because obviously they weren't, you know, they couldn't film anything new, but, like, yeah. if they had, had done, like, an animated sequence, um, but I don't know, like, I appreciate what they were able to do with, with what they had to work with. You know, we haven't mentioned Lex at all in this. Oh, uh, who's apparently is a Liberace fan. Did you <laughs> catch that? Oh, with the record at the beginning? Yeah, yeah. I was like, I was like, that's such a weird, like, <laughs> he's like, I want my Liberace record back tonight. I'm like, what? Like, it's too weird. Like, <laughs> Yeah. And so, so famously, Gene Hackman refused to come back for reshoots with Lester, right? And so... Uh, there are a couple of bits, uh, particularly in that final sequence in the fortress, where it's very clearly a body double and a, and a voice mimic. Uh, so that was interesting, and that was stuff like again, I never noticed that the first time I watched it, but it was it was clearer now. Um, it, Lex is pretty superfluous to most of the proceedings. I feel like they had him there because it's like, well, it's Gene Hackman, and like let's have Lex in here. But I really don't feel like he really no, added felt, all that much. It felt very it tacked felt on, very very much just like a. Um like oh lex is like superman's big nemesis he has to be in it kind of like you know what i mean like that's kind of what it felt like to me um again gene hackman was great for what he was doing like and there were a lot of funny moments in the like the like liberace thing which is like a fun like character kind of thing to like like i just thought it was funny because it was so like not like like you said like almost under his breath like as like the side like just like this character kind of like affectation just be like oh this is like a personality thing to lex that just throw on but then also i think it was in the donner cut where he's like like the arkansas slasher pees his pants or something or what's do you remember he's like spread the word like they're doing laundry and like they, i don't think that was in the lester cut and that was a joke that was actually funny that was like yeah they actually no that's a great point they um i think like wherever possible donner like even for stuff that donner originally filmed i think wherever like there was an alternate take or something like that he used it because like i mean this is the tiniest tiniest moment but when he tells that other prisoner like i want my record back in the lester cut i think the guy says like uh tonight like you want it back tonight and then in the donner cut he's like oh it's scratched I might be flipping them, but like the, the oh. prisoner's response is different. Again, it's like a super tiny, tiny detail, but yeah, yeah, yeah. But I think like wherever they could, they use different things. I will. I, yeah. I wonder if that was an ad lib line by Gene Hackman. Maybe. <laughs> like, like, like we're just going to like put this in because it, cause it was like, it, it was like a fun, like character thing to, to put on him. But like it was, but he, he was like, he was like, he was having a different conversation and he just kind of like set it like off to the side as to like ground, like again, like grounding it in reality of like, not just like spewing out dialogue on a script, but like making it feel like a lived in world, you know, you know, I've said this before, but I don't, I don't love this version of Lex. I love Gene Hackman. Like he's a great actor. Um, but I just don't really care for this like campier real estate obsessed Lex. But Mm. I will say one of my favorite moments in the movie and probably my favorite Lex moment is when Superman shows up at the daily planet and Lex is like, oh, Superman, thank God. And he catches himself and he, t- he goes to the side. He's like, I mean, go get him. I love, I do like that moment. Yeah. That's fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was good. That was good. Yeah. No, yeah. Gene Hackman's great. Like, again, for what he's doing, like the take that he's doing, I think he's awesome. 
Yeah. Again, I, uh, my Lex will always be Michael Rosenbaum because he's like, you know, the best. But um, but yeah, like, it, it, again, I, I, I do really like this Perry White. Um, yeah, me too. For, for one of them. Like, because like, this guy's like, it's like, like angry and like like revved up and you know like he like he feels like he's like on like like uh he's probably taking like heart medication and stuff because of all the stress that he's under you know like he just he just feels like like that like like revved up like newspaper reporter so like i do like that version of perry white a lot it's funny like perry and jimmy are like barely in the movie yeah 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 jimmy jimmy has like i think two scenes yeah they really don't have a ton to do um and then that, I guess that kind of takes us to the the showdown in the fortress. And so basically, like, I, I know I said this before, but like that fight sequence, that was a Lester addition. And thankfully that went, I mean, all like the, the goofy powers about like peeling off the shield and the hologram, like that was, was all that? like so weird. It was so what, weird. What was that? That, that cellophane S that he just like bizarre, so bizarre. Yeah. Yeah. So that, 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 you know, that was gone. So you did not like, you didn't like the trick that Superman played on the criminals. Cause I actually, that I actually liked where he pretends where he, well, we can lay it out, but you didn't like it. Well, I, it's not that like, I didn't like the idea of it. Cause like, I like the idea that he uses his brain as well as his like strength to beat them. Like I like that, but like, it just feels so the whole sequence to me just feels so anticlimactic to like this fight that they had. Right. And, and also the fact that like, the fight is like stopped. Like he like runs away to the fortress of solitude. Like that's like a weird, like, I know. like it's just, it's just, it, it like, it just, it just feels strange that like, it's not like he drags them kicking and screaming to the fortress in the middle of the fight. It's like, he's like, no peace. I'm leaving. And like, it just runs away. And like, that to me is like weird. Cause it's like almost like, like a cowardish kind of move because like, because Lex is the one who's like, I can tell you where they are. It's and not he like doesn't Superman know that. It. Yeah, it, like Superman when he makes that choice to leave, it's not like he's leading them to the fortress. He's just like, I'm out, a peace. Like, and and like, I'm just like, this is strange. And then like, again, like the at the end, the confrontation is, it's a, it just feels very anticlimactic. Like it doesn't have a, a powerful like, yeah, Superman moment. It's kind of like, oh, okay, like. Well, it's a good point because it's true. Like he just, he, he turns tail and he, and he leaves. Right. And of course, like we know he's setting up this ruse where, well, we'll get to that, but, uh, and we didn't, we hadn't mentioned this, but right. Like Lex, you know, Lex's main thing in this movie, uh, again, he doesn't have a ton to do, but he and Miss Tessmacher do discover the fortress. Right. And in the Lester cut, they see like the Kryptonian scientists. And I think Laura too there, I, I forget, but definitely the Kryptonian scientists like talking about Zod. Right. Like that's where Lex like learns about Zod. Yeah. And then in the Donner cut, he actually like he sees Jor-El. But anyway, um, but Superman doesn't know this at this point in the story. So like when he leaves and like you said, it's not like he's goading them into following him or anything no, like that. Pieces out. He has no indication that Lex knows where the fortress is. So I don't know what the plan was there. I again, I, I think it was like rushed, just the rushed. Um, yeah. Like when they're making, we just kind of rushed it through. Like I don't think they were like expecting, you know. 40 years later, whatever it is, us to be dissecting it, like scene for scene, you know, but, but it is, it is interesting that, that again, these movies are held to this, like the first one deserves it, but I'm saying like this one, it's strange that this movie, people compare man of steel to this and think this one's more optimistic where I feel like at every turn, Superman makes like not heroic moves. Whereas like in man of steel, like, like there was destruct. I mean, there's destruction in this one though too. Like there, there was plenty of destruction. It just like wasn't as aggressive because they couldn't do it back then with the special effects, you know? Right. Um, 
but it's like like i said like it's such an anticlimactic like unheroic like he just kind of runs away and then like again like has no like knowledge that they're gonna follow him at all you know and then does the rude the switcheroo thing yeah this so like again i'm glad that the donner cut removed that that added fight sequence because that was very silly but as far as the switcheroo what i liked about it I thought it was it was clever on Superman's part, but especially because of the way he used Lex, uh, right? Like he has this whole bit where he, you know, he whispers to Lex, like, you know, try to get them into this chamber to remove their powers. No, like, and he knows that Lex will turn on him, right? And that proves true and they make Superman go in, but he's reprogrammed it. So it instead just removes the other's powers. Um, so I liked that, like, it showed how well he knows Lex and he knows how to play Lex. And I thought that, like, I liked it for that aspect. Agreed, agreed, totally agreed. To your earlier point, I meant to to say this then, there's a deleted Donner scene where the North Pole police uh, take Zod and Nan and Ursa away. Really? So that's, this raises an interesting question, right? Because again, what's canon? What's canon is what's actually in the movie. And in the movie, yeah. it really appears like they die. And yeah. Superman seems real cavalier about it. Yeah, where he almost takes delight in, and you know, you talk about like unsuperman like behavior. It's like, you know, like he seems real pleased with himself and with Lois. Like when these Kryptonian, these powerless Kryptonians, seemingly plummet to their deaths. Yeah, yeah. But there is, wait, wait, in fairness, there is a deleted scene. You could probably find it on YouTube. Why? Why wasn't that in the Donner Cut? Though I don't know. That's the thing. It's like why? Yeah. <laughs> Because it really, like, you watch that, and again, it's like you don't see how far down it goes, but like it looks pretty far and you know, they don't yeah. have powers and it's the North pole. Like the chances yeah. of surviving like seem real low. Yeah. Yeah. So there is that deleted I, I, scene. I do love that shot of when Lex is like, Oh, he switched it. And, and Christopher Reeve is like, he does that like yeah. head thing. That's a great, great, like little, like, like moment for sure. Yeah. yeah. That is what, yeah. I love that. That's that, that's that cool factor that I always talk about that. Like he has, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, you know, one other thing, because you asked me before about the, like, the depiction of, of Zod and the criminals, and again, overall, I did like it, but I know we keep comparing this to the Snyder stuff, but, I mean, they use the same characters, so it's like, I don't think it's it's uh, inappropriate. You know, as we talked about when we when we did the Snyder thing, like, I, I thought that they gave Zod in Man of Steel, like, so much more nuance, and he had, like, a very, I think, an interesting and compelling motivation, where it's like, Yes, there's an element of revenge, but like more than anything, it's like he wants to keep Krypton alive, right? This is, you know, a, a pretty bare bones, just like, hey, your father imprisoned me. I'm going to get you, kid, sort of thing. Yeah. Well, he's also like a dictator. Like, like you, yeah, you, right. it's established that this version of Zod is like kind of like hell bent on being like a dictator, which they're two different interpretations of the character. And I do agree that the, the new one does have more nuance, but. I do think that there is something to be said about just straight up bad guys and in like, because that's one of the things that in most modern stuff like this, they always have to like try to make the bad guy. Like you have to understand where they're coming from kind of thing. Like in Spider-Man's kind of like notorious for this, those Spider-Man movies where they're always like, they're bad guys with hearts of gold kind of thing. And like, you can like really empathize with them. And like, I do think there's something nice in superheroes that where the bad guy is just like a bad guy. Like it doesn't have to go deeper than that because like, like you, you make him so bad in contrast, it makes Superman look so good or whatever hero you're doing. Right. Like you can have like, just like, the purely like, like bad nihilistic, like in this case, like a dictator, like he, he just purely wants to rule people. Right. And like, 
there have been people like that in history, right? Like psychotic, like Kings and dictators and stuff. Right. So like, it's a different take on Zod, but it's one that I don't think is not valid because I do think it's still compelling enough of a villain for Superman to fight, you know? Yeah. Like, no. like, like, like I, I, like I appreciate the fact they weren't trying to like get the violin out and make you feel bad for Zod. You know, like I, like, I like that he was just like a force that like you were supposed to hate and like just rally behind Superman to hate. Like I, like, I do think there's something like clean, like a clean storytelling aspect of villains like that. that I don't think are used enough in modern storytelling, you know? No, fair enough. Your, your point is well taken. I, I don't disagree. Um, and I guess, you know, it's interesting. You see the evolution, right? Um, and, and I think like for a more modern movie, I think it made sense to kind of flesh the character out a little bit, but mm-hmm. I do think that, uh, it certainly worked. I think the effect, w- you know, was, uh, you know, it worked well. I do wish, like, it would have been interesting to get more of Superman's like feelings and thoughts and reactions to the fact that, there are actually other Kryptonians where he thought he was the last one. Like, I think that there, you know, that would have been interesting to see kind of play out in any, you know, meaningful way. Uh, But so there is that deleted scene where they live and they're carted off. But again, that's not in either cut of the movie. Yeah, either cut, yeah. I I didn't even know about that. So that's why I assumed Superman just killed them in in both versions because like, because it looks like they kind of fall into the abyss. And in the fortress, like, I'm assuming nobody else knows the fortress exists, right? So the fact that snow police gets it, like, <laughs> yeah, it's like I think it says like North Pole police. It's like, oh, wow, okay. and they have wow, like all. Yeah. It's funny because they have like all these cars. It's like how much <laughs> action do you get? Like how many? <laughs> what's the manpower of this uh, police force? You have to wonder. But the That's other funny. the other interesting thing in the Donner cut is that Superman destroys the fortress. Yes. Yeah. 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 I thought that was interesting. Yeah. And I think that really, again, like in terms of thematically, like really tying the first two movies together, you know, and in this movie, the fact that he loses the ability to to converse with Jor-El, Jor-El has to sacrifice himself to, to give Superman his powers back. And then, I mean, I assume he destroys the fortress because its location has been compromised. I mean, Lex knows it and, the you know, Zod and the others as well. So he uses his heat vision. And it's like, again, further, you know, severing that tie with where he comes from. Like, I think that was that was pretty powerful. Yeah, I liked it too, because I mean, like, I feel like we're the same on this is that I, I like less Jor-El in these movies or, or in, in, in Superman in general, like to me, like I like Jor-El being there at the beginning, singing the rocket, but I don't really like him having like prolonged interactions with an AI interface. That's like Jor-El's mind when he's like older. Like I, to me, it's like, I want him to get all his like guidance from the Kents, you know, cause to me, that's what makes him Superman. Like, like on Krypton, like, well, yeah, I mean, this, this is another nitpick that I had with it, but like the, uh, the Kryptonians at one point say something like, oh, these people can't even fly or something like that. And I'm like, well, you couldn't either until like <laughs> a day ago. Like, it's like, what, what are you talking about? Like, did you, did you, there was that, did you see that there was, I can't remember what cut that was in yeah. between the two, but, but I think Ursa makes some comment that they either they're weak or they can't fly or like some, some observation that they can't do what the Kryptonians can do. And I was like, well, you guys couldn't do that on Krypton either. Like this is supposed to be all new to you as well. <laughs> like, Yeah, no, for sure. And I mean, so again, the destruction of the fortress, I think is interesting. It's a powerful moment. You know, in the Donner cut, this all ends up being for nothing. Uh, you know, <laughs> which, which ending did you prefer? The magic, memory erasing kiss or the uh the reversing of time in the Donner Cup. Okay. 
so I, I hate, hate the time reversal. Like, because I mean, I, that that's my big problem with the first movie too, is like, I think that movie's almost perfect except for the time reversal, because to me, it's like, it's the flashes thing, man. Like that's not super Superman can't do that. Like, so I, I hate that they use the time reversal, but I hate even more that he erases her memory with the kiss. So like, I, I got to go with the Donner version ending. Cause like, cause not only is that a power that like, 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 that makes Superman super creepy, I think, like to, to to erase her memory with the kiss. But it's also like a power that's never been established before or since. It's just, it's this, like, to me, more than anything, that feels like we ran out of time. Let's throw this idea in there. And like, I, it's to- that just, it reeks of like, like we, we ran out of ideas, we ran out of time, got to get this done quick. And who cares? This is a kid's movie. Who cares? You know, I can't, you know? I can't take credit for this. I think I saw this like on some YouTube. YouTube comment or something like this, but like, is that in the Lester cut, the ability to erase memory? Like, is can he only achieve that through a kiss? What happens if Jimmy or Perry find out his secret? What, what does he do then? It's like, yeah. Did, I, did you ever did you ever see that Robot Chicken that they did with the DC characters? No. Oh, do you know what Robot Chicken is? Yeah, yeah, yeah. With the action figures, mm-hmm. they did a whole DC special. This was like ten years ago, and it ended with Superman going around kissing everyone to erase their memory. Like it, nice. it was, it was, it's funny. It was really funny. So, well, let me say this. Uh, yeah, I don't like the kiss, but ultimately I found the time reversal more offensive on a larger scale. So if I had to pick, I would pick the the memory kiss, but I hate to say it. I really do. Cause really? I don't like it. I don't wow. like it. But yeah, no. Well, cause the memory kiss also like, I feel like it's creepy. You know what I mean? There's like a creep factor to it that like, like he's like roofing her or something like, yeah, yeah, it's like, it's like, it's not what he's doing, but it's like, it's, it's close. And like, it just, it feels like gross. And like, it feels so on Superman. Like that, I, like I, I'll, I'll definitely decide with the time reversal, even though that's like egregiously like stupid, but I'll, I'll say this. I actually, I don't mind the time reversal in the first movie. It's not my favorite thing of all time, but I don't mind it because he only reverses time a short period and it's the extreme scenario where Lois is dead and he's too late and it's like he has to do something. And it does kind of, um, it does pay off, you know, Jor-El's earlier warning, right? About you're not to interfere in the course of, of human history. And so I like it in that sense like it i feel like of the two movies like it worked for me well enough in superman the movie again still not my favorite thing but i was okay with it with superman 2 i mean look there's also the goofy aspect of you know we already got it in superman the movie and i understand like donner wanted to present it the way it was like originally originally intended uh you know when they originally were going to do something different in superman the movie i i do wish that he had had done something different with his cut and to be honest it's like you could have just ended it with superman dropping off lois and then he flies off and he winks at the camera that would have been fine yeah no i agree but also the mechanics this is my problem with the mechanics of time travel in both one and two is that he reverses time but like it's done the, the way the movie presents itself is that when he reverses time the problems just go away. Yeah. yeah I know. And like in Superman <laughs> one, it's presented that he reverses time. So therefore the rockets just forget about it. He saves Lois. But like, if he reverses time, he would then still have to 
go through all the same stuff. So in this one, it's like he reverses time and the Krypton just never show up. And it's like, wait, what? Like the, the sequence of events still have to play out. Like unless when he reverses time, he like somehow stops it. But like he was powerless. He had no idea. Like, like when the Kryptonian showed up, he had no power. So like, so like, like that whole, like the mechanics of it just don't make sense to me. It's almost like it was just kind of like a ill thought out, like, Oh, we just don't want to deal with any of this crap that happened. So, Oh, we reverse time and it's all fixed. But like the time travel mechanics don't line up for me. This is why you and I get along so well, I think, because that's always been the problem that I've had with Superman, the movie and, and in the Donner cut of Superman too, the exact same thing. It's like, he rewinds everything. It's like, okay. But it's like, yeah, like you said, everything that was still set in motion. And I don't know if it just would have been too costly. They didn't want to waste the time like to show him like stopping the thing that now he knows is going to happen. Right. But without that, it's like, yeah, it just does not, it doesn't make any sense. So like, that's definitely a problem with it. But like the, the larger problem that I have, I guess it's twofold with the Donner cut. One is that, you know, in Superman, the movie, it's like Lois was dead. It's like he had to, he had to do something in this movie. It was like, well, Lois was sad that she knows his secret and she can't be with him. It's like, that's not really, that's not enough to justify rewinding time. And again, in Superman, the movie, it's like a few minutes. It's like in in this, it's like he does days, days. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. And it just like it again, like it just undermines the impact of everything. It undermines the impact of having to say goodbye to Jor-El and destroy the fortress. It's like, it just, it just, I I don't, it's a baffling choice to me. And, um, you know, look, I, I respect that for Donner. He was like, look, this is my chance to show you what I originally wanted to do. I'm going to stick to that and I'm going to show it to you as best we can. And you know what? It's like fair enough. But I do just wish, I wish, you know, like, you know how at the beginning of the movie, there's text that says, you know, there were some things we didn't get to film. So we're using test footage, right? I wish if he had just done that and said like, you know, originally we were going to end with time travel, but we decided to, you know, not do that so that you can actually now watch Superman, the movie and Superman Two: the Donner cut and you get a complete story. I wish he had done that. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. I mean, I, I think we're, we're forgetting that like these movies when they were made, like they, they, they were thought of as like, these are just straight kids movies. You know what I mean? Like we're, we're looking back at them now, like in our thirties, like critically, like, because like superheroes, like storytelling has like evolved and become more serious and more like well thought out and more like people like take it way more seriously than people who make it grew up with it. So they have this love for it. But like, you know, at the time, like I think a lot of things that were put into the Lester cut, and some of the goofier elements of the Donner cut, like it, it was thought of in the sense of like, this is like, we, we want to have a fun movie for kids, you know? So that it, it is like, I'm trying to like, I guess not justify the time travel thing from it, but like, I guess that was like something flashy. They thought they had to put in there, you know? Yeah. No, look, I get what you're saying. And, and, you know, look, like I love this as a kid. You know, I'm disappointed now, like I've gone back to watch it. I'm like, oh, like it doesn't really hold up the way that I thought it did. Um, but, you know, to your point, it's like, yeah, like for uh, it was for, for a different audience, whether, you know, certainly for a younger audience and just for, you know, this was decades ago. I think audiences had different mm-hmm. tastes and expectations. And so and, you know, let me say this, because I, I do think this is important because I know we've we've <laughs> we've had a lot of fun at the movie's expense, but just justifiably, I think. But like 
just as when we talked about Snyder, like we made the point, like, you know, if you don't like the Snyder movies, like we're not, you know, trying to force you to, you know, rewatch them or try to change your mind. It's like, we want to make the case for it. We want to share what we love about the movies. And even in that episode, we talked about things we didn't like, you know, here, here it's a little bit flipped. Right. But, you know, same thing here. It's like, you know, it's not like we want to take away from anyone's enjoyment of Superman two. It's like, if you grew up watch, well, I mean, we grew up watching it, but it's like, if you went to the theater when this first came out and you watched it and it's a part of your childhood or your early adulthood and you have great affection for the movie, you, that's wonderful. It's like, I wouldn't, you know, I don't want to like take that away from anyone, but I do think it's fair to revisit it. And I, I feel like for those who hold this up as such a, as such a great Superman movie, I wonder how recently they've watched it. Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, it's kind of how I feel about the Tim Burton Batman movies, right? Like now those are movies that I've watched a ton, both of them, and they hold huge places of nostalgia to me. And like, I still love those movies, but like I just recently watched both of them and they're they're not very good, like by modern standards, right? Like there's definitely things you can pick apart. Like Michael Keaton is, he's questionable as Bruce Wayne. You know, it's like, it's, so there's, there's definitely like, like I, I can definitely like, like I don't want anyone who like loves these Superman movies to be like mad at us because we're like kind of like, you know, picking them apart because we're doing it like analytically. Like we, we, we love Superman, you know? And if you love this version of this character or this, this movie version, more power to you. That's awesome that you love it. You know, like, I mean, I, like, like I've said many times through our conversations is that I view every one of these things as like, a different sort of artistic vision and like one doesn't supersede the other for me. Like I'm cool with like just viewing them all as different interpretations. And I'm like happy with that. Like, and I like how they're all wildly different from each other. Like I think when we get to the point where they start becoming like monotonous and too similar and too homogenous, that's when they'll be less interesting and less fun, you know? No, I'm with you. And I like, I think sometimes I get, I mean, I don't think defensive is the right word, but I, sometimes I feel some sort of way uh, with the Donner movies when I feel like people hold them up like at the expense of, for example, the Snyder movies, like where people are so beholden to the Donner movies that it's hard to accept a different version. I think that's where I get a little frustrated and where I say like, look, like, you know, there's a lot to love about the Donner movies, but you know, there are other aspects where maybe they don't hold up so great and it's okay to have different yeah. versions. Well, it's interesting to me because the Donner movies, they're not reflective at all of like, say the post-crisis Superman world. Right. So that, that's one of the things that I think that like a lot of people who aren't Superman fans per se, but are comic book fans, but don't necessarily have an investment in the current Superman. I think that's why they like in their head, this is Superman. This is the one that like they've attached with when they're kids. They've never read the John Byrne forward. They've never read, you know, the, the, the two thousands, you know, the Joe Kelly and stuff, all that good stuff. Or they never read the new 52 or like the, the Patrick Leese and stuff, you know, recently, like, so that to me is, probably where a lot of that comes from you know because superman like we've talked about is he's iconic and he's popular but at least among comic book fans he definitely doesn't feel like he's the number one (laughs) 
people's favorite, right? Like, like in the broad sense of like population, I think he would rank up very high with Batman. I think just random people, Superman probably ranks very high as like their favorite character in comics, right? But people who just offhandedly like don't really think about this stuff at all, right? But among comic book fans, Superman doesn't quite seem to do as well in popularity. So I always find that very interesting. Yeah, no, that's a I, no. I I agree with that. I do think that's a good point. Yeah, I mean, I feel like if you poll the average comic book fan, it's like you get a lot of Batman, you get a lot of Spider Man, you get some more Wolverine, like Wolverine, yeah. you get that sort of stuff. Um, but yeah, just in term, in terms of like the overall, you know, pop culture awareness, and uh, and yeah, I mean, so certainly for a whole generation, like I know, you know, these movies were incredibly formative. Just as you know, I'm coming off of. Uh, multiple episodes on this podcast about Adventures of Superman from the 50s. And it's like, yeah, like you see how the character changes. And, you know, I'll also, uh, I'll argue against myself for for a moment here. Because like with the Snyder movies, you know, my whole thesis was like, look, you have to buy into the fact that this is Superman in the real world in modern times. Like people are distrusting. You know, they it's reasonable that Clark would really have to negotiate like how he's going to step into the world, what he's going to do. Um, and I feel like a lot of people were either unable or unwilling to do that. And that in part was why a lot of people seem not to like it, but I'll argue against, or I'll use the same argument on myself here. It's like, yeah, I think, you know, looking at either cut of Superman too, it's like, yeah, this is a version where Superman is the, is the essence of the character, right? Clark really truly is a disguise. And, uh, you know, it was, it was a, it was a different time and, you know, storytelling sensibilities are a little different, you know, all that stuff. So, you know, fair enough. And there's a lot of stuff that I like about the movie. I mean, as much as I wish the execution had been uh, maybe fleshed out a bit more with, you know, giving up the powers and the relationship with Lois, but honestly, the fact that they even explored a relationship with Lois, I thought was cool. And yeah, that's true. Yeah. And I sure. say that now having just rewatched almost all of the adventures of Superman TV series. And it's like, maybe there's a handful of episodes where they even flirt with the idea of anything between Lois and Clark. Like it's, you get almost none of that over a hundred episodes. Yeah. So the fact yeah. that like they they like a huge part of this movie dealt with that I think is really cool and I think overall yeah the the three Kryptonian criminals I think they were effective villains for sure. Yeah, I mean if I was going to talk about the stuff I like about I think top to bottom the acting is probably like the best thing about this right because like in the seventies like you know that's when that was a known benchmark for like really good acting and like I think Christopher Reeve Margot Kidder. The guy who plays Perry White and Jimmy, of course, the Kryptonians, Gene Hackman, like top to bottom, every performance I think is like really good. Like no one's like phoning in it. No one's doing like a, like a campy kids show kind of like performance. Like they're all doing like, they're acting their ass off and they're, they're, they're working in that realm of reality that we were talking about the Donner like established, even in the Lester cut, like you could tell that the, the actors are still operating on the sense of we're trying to take this really seriously, you know? So no, for sure. And, you know, I'm glad that, uh, you know, I'm glad we have the Donner cut. Like it's cool to see what he had intended. It was really cool to get to see those Jor-El scenes and that, that altered opening, you know, that the, 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 the new opening sequence and the Jor-El scenes, I think really, uh, you know, I'm, you know, it would have been a shame if those were forever, you know, lost to, to fans. So I think that's really cool. And, uh, it was, you know, fun to be able to compare the two. Uh, I'm so, I mean, I appreciate you watching both of them and I'm so glad that you wanted to do this. Was there anything else that you wanted to say about Superman two? No, I think we pretty much covered everything. Um, yeah, I, I think pretty much. Yeah. All right. Yeah. What about you? Any yeah. other little last thoughts on it? No, I mean, that's it. I mean, I think overall, uh, 
I mean, I feel like I've said everything I, I need to say. Like it didn't, I mean, I'm sad to say like it didn't hold up. It didn't match the memory that I had of the movie. I didn't hate it, but I think, you know, I had a certain expectation of what my enjoyment level was going to be based on how I had enjoyed it in the past. And, you know, it didn't really do, I don't know if it was just, you know, changing tastes or being older or, you know, a mixture of things. Um, but it was definitely interesting to compare the two. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I think there were just some like big picture choices in the movie that I, I just couldn't really get behind, you know? I mean, yeah, I think the pacing like was a little slow and all, but like I could have gotten, I could have gotten around that. But I think, you know, the things that we talked about in terms of the, you know, primarily the depowering and, and, and all of that, um, yeah, I don't know. It was great. It was definitely worth watching both cuts, though. And for anyone who hasn't seen either one, I do recommend it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Especially close together so that you can pick out the differences. That's for sure. Like, you know, so it's now a lot I, of movie to get through, though, if you're going to do that. So Now, I know you said that, uh, you know, you've watched Superman the movie many, many times. So, you know, maybe this is an easy answer, but after after rewatching Superman 2, like, are you at all concerned of like, oh, like if I like when I go to rewatch Superman, the movie like that might not stand up the way I think it will. Are no, you confident? no, no, no. Because I just watched that recently, like, like a couple of years ago, I think was most recent it was like last year or something. Superman, that one still holds up. I mean, obviously there's the like going into it, knowing it's the 70s, knowing it's a different version of the character, like all that stuff you said, I feel like you got to buy into all that to like know that it's, you know, but it's still really good. And I think it still holds up really well. The ones that don't hold up well or even worse are three and four. Like those movies are so bad. Like, so, um, I, like when I was, this is going to sound bad, but when I was watching this movie, the Lester cut, when it was finished, Laura was walking by and I turned to her and I was like, this movie's making me question why I even like Superman. (laughs) Because it was like, because it was so corny, right? Like, but then like, you know, like I, I, you know, read some comics and stuff. I was like, oh no, 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 Superman's cool. Superman's cool. Like, you know, but it's, it's, this movie is definitely a, uh, a, a time capsule from an era when they definitely didn't take it seriously. And like that, that was my big thing is that the first one feels like they're trying to make a real movie. And this one felt like they were trying to make like a Saturday morning, like kids kind of like, like, you know, like knock it out kind of thing. Like, like, like Tron or something like that. Like, like, like a cheap kids movie is kind of what it felt like to me. Yeah. Um, no. And, but, and, and again, I think, you know, if, if we had had, if the entire thing had been shot by Donner, you know, it would have been different. It, it totally, it wouldn't have ended with the time travel. Like, I really don't really don't think that the old man with the thing would have stayed in with him beating that guy up. Like, I, I mean, I know you said he shot it, but like they didn't put in the, the snow police. So, you know, I, I don't think that would have made the final cut, but like, he made his Donner cut. I mean, that's the thing. Like he, and that's what's oh, so right. weird yeah. to me is like, <laughs> so he, you know, he included that in the Donner cut. And there's also, there's another deleted scene where, uh, Clark is this, at the end of the movie before the, the second diner scene, Clark is uh, getting onto the elevator and like this big burly guy at the Daily Planet, like they, they collide and the guy's like, hey, watch where you're going. And Clark is like, oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. And then like he has this moment where you see him remember and he's like, he doesn't say it, but you could see it on his face of like, oh yeah, there's that guy at the diner. I got to go teach him a lesson. So it's like he has this little interaction with a, with a bully at the Daily Planet and like that's what sparks him 
to go and oh, uh, teach wow. Rocky a lesson. But like the fact that he's reversed time, like none of this, none of the events of the movie now have occurred. So he's going to this diner. I, I you know, I, I don't know. It's uh it's, it was a weird, I thought that was such an odd choice to leave that in, in the Donner yeah. cut. Um, it, you know, uh, but it, 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 you know, it's, it's there. Yeah. But I feel like, don't you think fans like? I feel like that's a scene that people tend to like. I mean, I've not polled people, Wait, but really, I, I mean, I don't know. I feel like uh, I've never heard anyone because so I, I totally forgot that was in the movie completely. Like I totally forgot that was in. The, so that would shock me if that's like a fan favorite scene where Superman like <laughs> beats up like an unsuspecting like truck driver. Which, but again, you're right though. That was in, that, that was something I want to say. That was in Man of Steel. It was a callback in Man of Steel. But to me, Man of Steel was the right version of that. Cause yeah. it's like the guy picks a fight with him. He doesn't pick a fight with the guy. First off, that's, that's the big problem that I have with this to begin with is that Clark in the first scene when he has no powers picks a fight with this guy. Like this guy, like is like, like if, if he told us, come on, let's go sit somewhere else. And they like, there wouldn't have been an altercation. Like, so like in man of steel, he's, he's trying to like protect this girl who's being groped by this, like, like disgusting, like guy in, in, in the bar. And he's, and he's like, Hey, cut that out. Like, and that guy starts like starting, starting altercation with him and he pushes him and he pours beer on him and everything. And Superman just kind of like calmly walks away. And then as he's walking out, he's like, I'll fuck the guy a little bit. Like, you know, like, like, like I'll break his truck, you know, but like, but he doesn't like, like, like he, he, for the most part takes the high road. Right. I mean, like, like he, he, he does like quote unquote teach him a lesson, but it's not like he, he and then he doesn't go back though, either. That'd be like the equivalent at the end of the movie. He goes back in his Superman costume. Okay. Remember me? Boom, and like, just kicks the shit out of him. Like, it's like, it makes no sense. It's like, Oh, yeah. yeah, it it does ring as like especially petty from from Superman, and I, you know what? I let me argue this in in Clark's defense in the first scene, because like I it does seem out of character that he would escalate the, escalate the situation the way that he does, but maybe that's a function of like he wants to prove to Lois and to himself that like you know I'm still I'm still Superman, right? I'm still myself or I'm still the guy who can protect you. And yeah. obviously it, it goes sideways for him real fast, but maybe there's some element of that. And maybe that's, you know what? I don't know. Now I'll kind of maybe look at that scene a little bit differently. Like maybe that's a, that's a scene that shows more of his humanity, like, and the but, hubris, but, but he, but it ends with him being like, I'm nothing without my powers. I'm a failure. Like, like, <laughs> right. like that's the thing. It's like, it, it like, like again, there's there's a version of that that could be powerful, but like what's shown is an incredibly petty, incredibly like weak, like 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 spiritually weak. I don't mean like physically weak. I mean like like his his spirit, his willpower is like weak in that scene. Like it's just it just to me again again though seventies seventies like mentality. Like I think the whole like macho thing was more like in vogue. Like I feel like now it's seen at like like de-escalating situations and like being calm and almost Zen like is seen more now culturally as like a plus as being like, like that's how, that's how, that's what heroism is. Whereas like, I feel like in the seventies there was probably more of that like chest beating peacocking kind of like attitude, I guess, you know, and like what was seen as like, like masculine, I guess, I, I don't know, but like it just, it just rings so like weird to me that Superman would, 
would act that way. And, and to me, it's like the most out of character thing, like in any like Superman like thing in any version of the character. I just find it very strange. Yeah, no, for sure. Uh, yeah, like, that was, your, listeners, your listeners tuned in to hear us talk about Superman too, but what we really did was like deep dive on this one scene where you think you're actually the trucker. You know, again, I think the you know the, the the trucker scenes and you know this idea that like he can't be Superman and have a relationship and right because that's ultimately what motivates the ending, whether it's the magic kiss or the time reversal, is like you know, he can't be with Lois. And also for some reason, it's just like so unbearable for Lois. I feel like that does Lois a disservice. And again, maybe this is a function of the time period, right? And maybe the fact that Clark Superman has no conversation with her about giving up his powers is also a function of the time period, right? As much as Lois was, you know, and, and has always been like, you know, very progressive in terms of how, you know, a female character is depicted. I mean, she's been a working professional, go-getter, you know, but still, I think maybe the fact that Superman doesn't talk to her and yeah, maybe the fact that it's like, it's really painted, she's painted as like, this is so hard for me to see you every day. I mean, especially the Lester cut, like she's a mess Yeah. in that scene before yeah. he kisses her, you know, so you know, maybe it's a function of that, but I do think it does Lois a disservice as well. And I just disagree with this idea that like they can't be together because he's Superman. And on top of that, it's like the knowledge of his secret and the knowledge that they can't be together is just so painful for her. that well, he- she, she makes some comment that like knowing that I have to share you with the world or like knowing that like you're out there risking your life. I can't take it. It's like, well, how do like wives of like firemen feel and like, like, you know what I mean? Like, or like soldiers or like, like people who have like, like in real life have like very dangerous, very difficult, very self-sacrificing type of jobs. And it's like, like, I I don't, I don't know. I just, it's, it's very like, to me, again, it felt like a rushed kind of ill thought out. Like, well, we got to get back to the status quo. We got, we got to end this with the status quo. Superman three is the status quo and it's a cheap kids movie. So who cares? Like they'll see it in theaters for six months. They'll go away and no one will ever watch it again because what are DVD? Like, you know, like I don't think the anticipation of like DVDs and like this lasting, I think was never across anyone's mind. You know, I think that's probably why we got such lengthy recaps at the beginning of the movie as well. Right. Cause it's like, you know, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't like, Oh, everyone's just watching this at home over and over. So, you know, again, maybe we can chalk it up to that. Listen, guess, do you know how long we've been talking? Uh, I'm looking at the clock, like like two hours, maybe. Yeah. Did it feel like two hours or did it, did it fly no, by? No, it went by very quick. <laughs> very good. Very, very quick. Yeah. I, I hope your listeners got as much, uh, had some fun with us too. Like, like, I, like, again, if you like this movie and you love this version, like we, we are fans too. I just wanted to reiterate that I like Christopher Reeve. I love him. Love his version of Superman. Like him in the suit is my favorite. So, um, but the, the, the film itself is, it's, you know, if you, if you like it, more power to you. Like if you, if you think it's perfect, awesome. Like that's great. Yeah. Well said. All right. Well, Ken, thank you as always. It's, I always love having you on. It's always so much fun. So thank you. Oh, thank you so much for having me back. It's always so much fun to, to hang out and talk, talk superheroes, Superman. And, uh, barring a, a change in expected release date of the Snyder cut, you and I will be back at the end of March to talk about the Snyder cut. And man, I cannot oh, wait. Yeah, for man. That. Can't wait. I can't wait. So thank you, Ken. Thank you to our audience. And uh, make sure you tune in for the next episode. And until then, remember, it's about what you do. It's about action. Digging for Kryptonite is a Flat Squirrel production. Art by Greg Schiegel. Music by Basic Printer. 
If you like what you heard, be sure to listen to My Comic Shop History, available on most major podcast platforms. Sign up for exclusive additional content, including the Digging for Kryptonite companion podcast at patreon.com slash anthonydesiato and watch my documentary film, My Comic Shop Country, out now on Apple TV and Amazon.